Ballards, Murders and the Multiverse, welcome to another episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where someone who has never read a Marvel comic before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a TV show for the first time, re-watches it, and then quizzes someone who is not just a Marvel expert, but someone that was taught to read with Marvel comics. Hello and welcome to the show. I am the uh, Marvel expert, half of the equation, comedian and writer. I'm Rob Holden and I'm joined as ever by the man that's powered by ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Powered by ignorance! Wouldn't that be great really? to add a sound effect or like a voice to that? So I found like I'm it like being summoned from a mountain of ignorance. And I walk down the mountain. <laughs> I walk down what we refer to call in, in ignorance parlance as the path of ignorance. If you were a professional wrestler, then you could be introduced. Hailing from the mountain of ignorance. <laughs> my God! My God! He's torn him in half! The carnage! So much ignorance. Just wonderful. So much ignorance. It Mm. is violent and aggressive. Violent ignorance. That's what what you represent uh, to this cast. Yeah, the the, the violent majority of the country. The violent majority. The silent majority, but less silent. This is the Howard the Duck episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. We're so excited to be back. Coming up in this episode, we've got... The, the, the weirdest and wildest villains you have ever heard of. They'll make you hit your own head. The creation of a billion dollar movie studio that you have all heard of is taking place in this episode. The complete history of everything that matters on Howard the Duck, why he was so important and mind-blowing in the 1970s, the, the incredible writer... That created him and a thorough exploration of the most satirical and subversive comic book that Marvel have ever published. That is all to come on this special episode. We are back. We return. We left you as we are wont to do from time to time. And we're back now after our monster anniversary month in April. It now feels incredibly good to be back in the saddle, back in the MVM <laughs> dual studios. Um, Willie P took some time off to uh, get hitched. Yeah, how did um, that go? Uh, it, it went all right because it's of course a lockdown and everything. We had to get married uh, with just us two, uh, a photographer, the two registrars, and two witnesses in this well nice room. He says he says that he knew. That the rules in England were about to be relaxed and we were about to be able to have 30, 40, 50 people at a wedding. But Willie P, he's such a skinflint. He's so tight. <laughs> he is so cheap, ladies and gentlemen. He told his missus, no, we do it now in lockdown. I'm not paying for a buffet. Five sausage rolls and that's it. <laughs> Nothing that's what he d- said. I heard him. It was it was borderline. It was horrible, horrible to hear. Nothing to do with finance. Just didn't want to see my family. No, I kid. I kid, I kid. Just some of them. Uh, no, it's it's uh, yeah. It was it was interesting. It was interesting, and I think uh, no one should be afraid of ever having a wedding on that scale. Go elope somewhere. Get married. Just you two and a witness. Do do the bare minimum and have fun. Spend the money on a holiday. Come on. <laughs> Will Preston. 
doing the bare minimum. <laughs> Oi! I thought you were going to say, Will Preston taking down the wedding industry one peg at a time. Single-handedly destroying... He's worse for the wedding industry than the pandemic. <laughs> you know what? I don't need to spend 10 grand on a wedding. <laughs> I'm so excited that we're back to be doing this. We had such a monster month um in in april we saw that in the downloads we've seen that in our wonderful new subscribers on patreon we've seen it with with a lot of people getting in touch and messaging us which you're really excited to hear uh hear about and hear from uh, but that break was needed it was a good break it was a positive break we've been kind of running full tilt with not just what you what you hear on the air but what goes on underneath and behind the scenes we've got two very exciting projects that we are working on every single week uh, we're trying to get them to you as quick as we can um we can't announce anything just yet but uh they're two they're two really cool things um it's a big investment in 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 time uh and in workload and in energy and in cashola from myself and willie p we're mm. gonna have these announcements for you coming real soon but it was great to have a little bit of time off um, I got to live vicariously through Will's honeymoon pictures, uh, his nice little break, um, and it's been really cool. But Will, you're the man that's out and about and around the town on the intraweb. You're not just here on Marvel vs. Marvel. You're doing other things, big things, exciting things. Big. Where can we where can we find you? Because is it still Twitch? It is still Twitch, but I'm taking a break from Twitch because I don't know what to do with it anymore. It's currently me and a group, small group of people watching me play video games, and I'm here going, there, no, I've got to do something more than this. I've recently got into TikTok, and I managed to do a little bit of exploding on there. I've got some, got some good feedback and and some followers already i think i've got like over a thousand followers so far which is not not bad for not a bad start considering i've been doing it for about three weeks tiktok's a really fantastic place for comedy um Mm. there's so much that you can do and utilize on that app um it's not just 15 year olds dancing in their living room and comedy is a great place for for jokes and for laughs and for things like that and as a not just a marvel expert but a comedy expert. Um, t- Will's TikTok is fantastic. Um, wh- where can we find you on TikTok? How do we get you on there? You can find me, uh, I put it as The Will Preston. It's box standard, simple. The, the Will Preston. The, I like to say The, the Will Preston. The Will Preston. The yeah. Will Preston. Um, and, I mean, I, you don't have to do these, but are there going to be dances on the TikTok? No, I'm going to avoid oh. dances. I, I'm thinking of doing that one thing where they do, basically you have the audio that plays over and you kind of mime to it. And I want to do uh, my variation of, if I turned up to this date wearing this, what would you do? But I've got an idea. Don't worry, it's perfectly legal. No one's going to get, <laughs> not going to get kicked off TikTok for showing the old Wilson. Oh, now I'm thinking about it. Oh, no. Don't put this energy into the show. I don't want to think about it. That's fine. It's all funny, all legal, because I'm very scared that if I do anything mildly rude, I'll get kicked off. So we can find (laughs) Will Preston fully clothed and being funny uh, at the Will Preston on Twitch. um, TikTok. Oh, God damn it. They are very similar. I get confused. Right, forget the whole show. Forget the whole show. Start all over again. Right, get... <laughs> could you press rewind on the tapes, please? <laughs> He's on the t- TikTok and Twitch. You see, my brain, my old man brain, just goes young people things. Yeah. Uh, don't know about those. 
Um, the Will Preston on Twitch, an exciting place to get um, some intimate Will Preston comments. See, I'm trying to, I keep making it sound like it's dirty, and I don't want to do that. But part of me does want you to launch an OnlyFans as well, because I think mm. that would be really cool. I think you'd have some supporters. I, 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 I would like to think I would have some supporters, but I have to pass it through Melina first. Jokes and feet pics. I mean, what else what oh, would you want from feet, an OnlyFans account? <laughs> feet pics would be great, wouldn't it? If I could make money off feet pics, I wouldn't need to do anything ever again. Let us now take a trip inside the disease. Can I make all the diseased mind jokes now you're married? Or is that, will Melina come and beat me up? Uh, well, I mean, she would have beaten you up anyway. She's nah. very violent. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. She doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. Fair play. Take a trip now into the diseased mind of a man who's never read a comic in his life. So, Will, the mind of a muggle. Fantastic gatekeeping, um, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 I know, no. I know, I'm just teasing now. Our, our motto is hashtag no gatekeeping. We haven't said that in a while. No gatekeeping, but it did sound a bit we, gatekeeping. We, there. we do need a way to mock Will. It just has to, <laughs> we can't, we can't. Let, we can't let him have a happy life. Not now. Now he's married and how has a nice we, how can we place bend, that he lives. How can we bend the wall rules to make Will more miserable? How can we do that? <laughs> That's what we're after. Yeah. So, normally when we, we, we talk about some of these modern films and we say, up until the release of this movie, you know, when it came out in 1999 or 1995 or the year 2008 or whatever, had you ever heard... Of this character, it's a little bit different when we're talking about mm. a movie um, from way back in the eighties when when you were uh, knee high to a grasshopper. So, when did you first hear about Howard the Duck? It was film studies in college. We heard about Howard the Duck uh, from one of the college. Uh, I don't want to say professors because that sounds very Indiana Jones. <laughs> No, not because I, I know what colleges are like, and they yeah. do not have professors. No, they do not. They're, one of the college teachers was doing, for, for doing film studies for us was basically saying, oh yeah, there was a film called Howard the Duck. It's done by uh, uh, George, what's his name again? The most famous, one of the most famous directors what, ever. What's, George what, Lucas. What is, what is George, the Star Wars man's name? George, I, I have um, his name written there on the screen as well. That is double humiliation. That is so ignorant. <laughs> I didn't bother looking at my own notes. Yeah, he, he, but like they said, uh, he said, uh, oh yeah, there's, there was a film that, that he did before Star Wars. There was two films of note. Uh, no, no, there was one film of note he did before Star Wars. What is America, happening? American Graffiti. <laughs> and he said another film that, not, that is not so well known is Howard the Duck. Not as well known as Star Wars. They were like, "What?" And it's basically, yeah, it was bad. He said, and it was, and it was a based on a comic character and everything. So I got the basic gist of Howard the Duck through the, through this. And then I looked online on the internet afterwards, and I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" When did you first see it? Then was uh, it around that time? Or? No, no, I first saw it when I was required to see it for the podcast. <clears throat> oh, so this is your first, first viewing. Oh, folks, we know what that means, don't we? That means we're going to get Will moaning about it being old. You oh, say why? that. You say why does that. this look like it was filmed in the 1980s? I, have a, I actually have a lot of weird love for some of this <laughs> film. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 So what, what then... It's hard. What, so forget when you saw it for this... What did you think then when you were first made aware 
of this kind of talking space duck movie. <laughs> I, 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 I thought, I, I just thought, hey, we've, we've had films. They've done a Super Mario Brothers movie. They can do anything now. You know, and, 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 I, I will I, say it right now. I will say it right now. Here we go. That film is leagues worse than this film. <laughs> because this film has a kind of charm to it. Yeah. Which yeah. Super Mario Brothers movie does not. Super Mario Brothers movie should have been a home run. Yeah. Should have, that should have been... That's, that's, that is a layup. That is money in the bank. This was always going to be absolutely mind-bendingly weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what did it? What did you think then? When you did, did you think anything of the idea that this was then a comic book character? I I had no idea it was a comic book character. I thought it was before I got told it was a comic book character. I thought it was an original character they just pulled out thin air. Like, hey, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna make this. Hey, you know uh, Spielberg has like ET, and it's like a thing. Why don't we do a right. duck? Why don't we do a duck thing? That'd be cool if ET was a duck. So that we- that makes so much sense. I yeah. had never pieced together that, that. That is such a great comparison. See, this is why you have idiot savants on your show, folks out there. If you're <laughs> hey. a podcaster out there, <laughs> you need these kind of special people because. From the mouths of babes, they can really pierce through. <laughs> that is such a brilliant observation and comparison. You're so right. It is so in line with something like E.T. or uh, Mac and Me. Yep, or those yep, kind yep, of yep. movies where, where this kind of... Uh, not quite batteries, not included. Another amazing film from back in the day. Maybe maybe a little similar to sort of Johnny, uh, um, Johnny Short Circuit. Short Circuit. Yeah. It's a, it's um, a fish out of water character to appeal to children. And then they just have a load of adults or people fussing around them going, Oh no! We've yeah. got to get him to the place or he won't be able to do the thing. But of course what Howard the Duck does that those other movies fail to do, what puts it over the line is they recognised that the key to these kind of movies are naked duck boobs. Yes! (laughs) You start your movie with naked duck boobies in the shower and really you've created a cinematic masterpiece. I I, I Um, think it's good to, to double down from the start and go, this is definitely not for children. If, if, if E.T. had had a great big pair of abs... If uh, Johnny Five and Short Circuit had some electric norks, norks, we would have just, just you know, cracking pair of Bristols. We just would have had <laughs> a much. Uh, they just would have succeeded in in a, in a way that that we have failed to. They have failed to in many ways. Et is really missing alien boobies so much, mm. um, and it never. You never. So you you didn't. Did you not know it was a comic book movie then? In like when would is that something you can't remember? Did that does that strike a what do you mean, memory like, in you? Finding I, out that it was this weird movie was from oh, a comic I, book. I, 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 my memory is just finding it. Out, it goes to that film studies classroom back at back at Saint Vincent's College in Gosport in the UK. So did you then? Were you then able to connect it with Marvel, Spider Man? Uh, anything like that, or, or was it just a, an amorphous comic book thing? Well, they did say it was Marvel Comics, so I went, "Oh, wow!" The pe- the people who do Spider Man obviously had other stuff on the go as well. I didn't, but at the time, I didn't realize obviously that Marvel is part of a shared universe. 
Right. So obviously, yes. my yeah. first thing oh. was to say, "Oh, I wonder how he fits into Tony Stark's life." <laughs> this duck. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. That is something I think that we have kind of perhaps overlooked, maybe up until this moment. That 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 many people don't perhaps have this concept of a of a shared universe. Yeah, a shared universe is for me. Uh, they they just didn't happen. I I just I just wasn't ex- the only the only time I think I, I shared universe experience was Super Smash Brothers on the N sixty four. Yeah, they had all the Nintendo characters fighting each other. I went, oh, that's that's good. That's that's a good crossover. But apart from that, cro- uh, the, it was called a crossover back in my day. Shared universes just didn't happen. I don't remember them happening. You grow up with movies, which mm-hmm. all happen happen singularly. Even if they are a franchise, they are Mission Impossible is not in the same universe as Bond or whatever. TV shows are similar, except yep. of course for the greatest moment in the history of television, where Magnum PI crossed over with Murder She Wrote, giving us the greatest <laughs> cinema, the greatest crossover in the history of of film. Uh, I mean, I mean cellular film. Um, yeah, and and even Super Smash Brothers. I, I don't think to me Super Smash Brothers um, exists in that thing of it's a. This is gonna. This is such a, a superhero thing to think. Come on, it's a crossover, not a shared universe. It's right? true. So it's true. Yeah, because they're just. It's doing not it, like yeah. they all exist in the same universe. They don't. But you can write a story where worlds collide, and the Mega Man universe, and the you know a character from Mega Man and a universe, and a character from the Super Mario universe can meet, but they 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 weren't. In the same so, world and regularly bumping into each other. Exactly, it's like Marvel versus Capcom. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, it's it's it's. I also think <clears throat> to to just briefly touch on shared universes again. I think having a, a rest growing up with with WWF wrestling as a child kind of fit in with that shared universe thing. Um, it, the landscape is very different to wrestling today and very different to wrestling and how it was portrayed in, let's say, the 90s. But mm. when I grew up in the 80s, the wrestling that took place was all on one show. Yeah. But the characters very rarely interacted with each other. Hulk Hogan had his Hulk Hogan feuds and rivalries and matches. Ultimate Warrior had his, uh, you know, The Undertaker had his, and these guys had theirs, and the tag teams were all separate. And then maybe like two times a year, the Rumble, the Royal Rumble, and, and Survivor Series, then all these characters would interact with each other twice a year. <laughs> and you'd go, oh, Hulk Hogan's teaming up with another good guy. Wow. And the bad guys are on the same team. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I, there, there, there was that instilled in me. Where you'd have these um, these separate narratives mm. which would occasionally, twice a year, come together um, and form something that was really electric and special. And I guess Marvel was kind of like that. It would run separately, but they would, you know, you'd get, you'd get Avengers where they all come together or things like that. That's probably a bit too much in wrestling. Um, I was about to say, no other sport has that kind of narrative to it. You don't get a football extended universe, do you? Well, let's be clear here. Uh, wrestling wrestling hasn't been a, a sport for a very long time. Um, uh, lots of... Lots of uh, Tax reasons why they <laughs> why they like to admit they are not real. Um, okay, anyway, so 
what we like to do is take a look at the uh, the production side of things, and there's some juicy, juicy nuggets um, in the Howard the Duck uh, story. Uh, Willie P is the man with the facts, the figures, the dollars. He's the man that makes sense of the dollars and cents. Huh? Oh, huh? I like oh. that. I like that. I, I thought for a second, why isn't that what we say anyway? Because that would be incredible. I spent. That's what I did in the week off. I just spent the whole time writing that. Uh, it took me. It took me full seven days to come up with it. It's great, isn't it? What an investment. That's. Do do it again. We've got to do that again. Okay. Take time off. We'll come up with another phrase. That's amazing. Okay. Anyway, on to movie notes, production notes. Now, as we all know, anybody who's uh, in the know about Howard the Duck. Uh, the film didn't do too well, unfortunately. Uh, how, how, how much not too well, Will? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, want to, I really want to compare it to Super Mario Brothers film now, but I don't have the data. Uh, budget, okay. This is, is it 1980, what was, it, what was the film? When did it come I out? mean, you're the guy with that, in 1986, isn't it? 1986, yes, 1986. $37 million it cost to create, which is you know, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, that's, box, that's quite that's quite a lot of money in 1986. Yeah, it's quite a lot of money. Yeah. But uh, box office was 38 million. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <clears throat> not, that's not, yeah. that's a, that's that's hugely disappointing. And 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 what we the the thing that happens with these movies is that once the uh, they get a sniff that it's not amazing. The distributors and the production companies—they just rain way back on all the money to market it and advertise it and mm. promote it. Um, because there's—I don't know—it it, it perhaps wouldn't jibe and grab people. Um, perhaps that's part of it. It was such a mishmash from yeah. from the opening. But you would assume the Star Wars guy <laughs> is is putting together he's not directing it of course but he's putting together daddy skywalker this, daddy skywalker this, yeah this new space movie and there's a duck in it <laughs> like wouldn't you all rush, uh, I, I i really think and this is we'll get into this when we talk about the character mm. it's weird it's a weird character yeah it is a weird thing to sell a movie on um and I think that is very attractive to some people, but very off-putting to everyone else. Um, <laughs> what else can you tell us, Will, about about this this movie and 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 how it came together? Well, I've got so many production notes on this because it is quite it's interesting. So basically, I've got them in. My, I've got my points here. For a start, this was uh, George Lucas's first film after stepping down as president of Lucasfilm. That's that's really interesting. Um yeah. of course Lucasfilm uh was what he uh he he formed to to make the Star Wars movies yep. uh, back a decade earlier. Star <clears throat> Wars episode 4 uh is also one of the most successful independent movies ever made apparently. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um and 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 then once he had sort of uh Thought, you know, uh, George. I think George Lucas is is quite good at knowing his limitations, which yeah. is why he doesn't direct uh, Empire Strikes Back. It's why he doesn't direct Return of the Jedi. Um, think things of things of that nature. And so, once you have created something like Lucasfilm, mm. if you know that really you can get these very smart, savvy people in to run the company. 
and you're a much more of a creative person and you you can now financially because uh, you made such an incredible deal you can financially afford to focus on what your niche is what you're good at and what you love smart move yeah yeah exactly uh, George Lucas uh, also attended film school with William Hayek and Gloria Katz, who later co-wrote American Graffiti with Lucas. And it was Lucas who first told Hayek and Katz about the comic book Howard the Duck, describing the series as being very funny and praising its elements of film noir and absurdism. So he was a fan, basically. This was like a, <clears throat> it was a passion project almost, which makes it more heartbreaking. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, yeah... Hmm. We'll talk about. We'll talk about. That doesn't. Come on, computer. I don't. I, okay, this the time frame here doesn't quite make sense. The mm. time frame doesn't make sense at all here. Um. Well, he can't. He he can't have. He can't have been reading Howard the Duck when he was at film school. And he can't have been reading How the Duck when he was making American Graffiti with them. Perhaps it means much later. Much later. I think it's the way uh, it was phrased. I phrased it badly, people. Give me a... I don't know. Give me a smile. No, no, no. no. I think think we could perhaps know... We'll be able to pinpoint later on the time when George Lucas first read How the Duck. (laughs) There will be a definite moment we'll talk about. There will be a definite moment. when George Lucas first heard about how the, it's, it's, it, I, I can almost guarantee, and for him to think that it's very funny on the back of that and praising it is, um, is really interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so he then turned turned Hoyk and, and Katz on to this this property, I guess, this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And said, "Hey, we should do that." Uh, the film was optioned by Universal Studios after a partnership with Marvel Comics. The president of Universal Pictures, Sidney Scheinberg, lobbied very hard for Howard the Duck because the studio had passed on Star Wars and missed out big time. Oh, oh boy. That's the... Um, I mean, I, I, I've taken to calling that the um, the Sean Connery effect. Hello? You mean... Do you, you, mean, know, uh, this, do you know this story? Is it, is it everything he's done after James Bond, where he's been the main character, hasn't been that good? He he passed on um he passed on Lord of the Rings. That was he passed, it, yes. Yeah. He passed on the Matrix. Yeah. He passed on a series of these wilder sci fi and fantasy um, projects that he was offered because he didn't get them. Mm. And so on the back of that, when League of Extraordinary oh. Gentlemen <laughs> or LXG as Alan Moore calls it came across his desk he 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 signed up for that sweet sweet LXG movie and um because like his radar had been so off it was like i don't you know he was like obviously if i don't he went from thinking i'm not going to do it because i don't get it to thinking if i don't get it and understand it yeah. it's good yeah i'm just old so the next time I'm offered something I don't get because it's a science fiction thing or a fantasy thing, I'm gonna say yes. And it was the movie that ended his career. I know it was so sad. I mean, obviously, it's, it's not like he's a budding young actor. He's already had a career of great films and, and whatnot. I'll tell you that as, as a league, as an Alan Moore fan, I remember watching League of Story Gentlemen and thinking, "Oh, great, steampunk X Men, that looks fun." But then after I read all the comics, I just think, like, "Oh, the." the 
the film's terrible and missed the point. I mean, there's so much to unravel yeah. with the comics. I'm a big fan. I think the uh, last three League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics should be should be like a mini series because they fit that kind of uh, thing. If you if you ever read the Century novels, I, I think they should definitely do that. Give it the same treatment as they did Watchmen. No movie adaptation has ever got <laughs> Alan Moore. No, there's no, there's no such thing as a good Alan Moore uh, comic book movie. It doesn't exist. Um, was it you? I told you appeared on The Simpsons. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was that was fun. <laughs> what else have you got for his will? Uh, the six actors who gave physical performances as Howard received a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst New Star. The appearance of Howard was genuinely seen as being unconvincing. So that's we've got the voice actor, we've got the guy in the suit, yeah, guy in the and suit. then I guess the puppeteers. Puppeteers. Uh, yeah. There were a couple of guys. I think there were a couple of. I think they had people Stuntman. in the suit for stunt stuff as well. Stunt yeah. stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. I will say. I'll say it later, but I kind of liked. Kind of liked Howard the Duck. The I loved Texas. it. I, I, I love the effect. I love how he looks. I it, love it. It is creepy. Yes. It is unnerving, and it, it 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 hit. You never forget that you're looking at something that is so odd. Mm. But I think that's. I think that's good. I mean, admittedly, it clearly wasn't because the audience could not get it. <laughs> um, where- I just wonder who who they're showing this and like what 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 who, what people are going at the time. Like, I can't get on board with this. It's a duck. I I think um, the world now is very different yeah. after a slew of we had a slew of an- animated movies. Mm. That had as their central characters Lots. things that weren't human. Yes, like and I think yeah. that helped to change um, how how we, the general public, and our attitudes to movies change. Whereas back in the nineteen nineteen eighties, you know, yeah, we're not far removed from the creation of the blockbuster in general, and it feels like a big, big leap. To get it, it, it would seem. Sorry, no, it seems, but it would seem like it was a big leap to get people to go. You're going to sit and watch something that's not human for two hours. <laughs> that apparently was just massively off-putting to people. Whereas we do that with Cars and with Toy Story and with yeah. all those kind of those kind of movies, uh, Finding Nemo and, and things. We're able to get on board with that now. Just made me think of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, I've got to watch that film again. I love that. Great, great film. Yeah, very good film. Uh, okay, and we've got a, oh, we've got we we got some things to discuss on this. Uh, How the duck possibly helped create Pixar? Hit me with it. Hit me with I it. I want it. Here I need go. it. Will I need it? We all need How Pixar. How could this ridiculous movie that made a, just barely a million and has got a Thirteen percent raising on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, the pain! How the pain. could this create Pixar? Tell me, give it to me now. Okay, okay. Gather around, children and adults. <laughs> yeah. Within Within Industrial Light and Magic, uh, which is George Lucas, one of George Lucas's companies, was a smaller group that produced the new graphic computer graphics that Lucas wanted uh, to use on his Star Wars movie after a New Hope success. He called it. Wait for it. The Graphics Group. Wow. 
Good yeah. work, George. Good George Lucas, man who can create so many different weird names for objects and places within Star Wars. And uh-huh. a, what about what was called graphics group? Maybe Glombike or something? Nope, the graphics group. God damn it. <laughs> what was your one? Glombike. So, 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 something that you know, sounds like You know what? I was initially I, I was against George Lucas calling this the graphics group, and then I heard your alternative, and I think, no, well done, George. Well Don't done, be George. a knobhead. <laughs> Doubling down on boring. Uh, but Lucas's hopes of using the graphics group animation for his comic book adaptation were dashed. Mm, okay. So Adap- adaptation, not adaption. A- it is adaptation because I always get those two words yeah. uh, uh, wrong. Well, uh, the difference is that adaptation is spelt. Adaptation. Look, I and look. I get up to the adaptation. first. Fo- I, I get to the first adapt, and then I I, I, I get lost. I get lost. Okay. it's a special cool. form of dyslexia. Maybe as soon as I get to that kind of long word, and there's it's an I O N it. It's just being lazy. Okay, I'm lazy. There we go. I'm, I, I, Lives I, in the south. You can't speak proper. Oh, I glass grass. Yes, I I had a glass of. Oh, you didn't. Glass. There's no R in that word. Glass. Glass. He had a glass. A okay. glass of warm bitter. He's a pint of mild. That's what you had. Pint of mild. <laughs> mild. They haven't had mild in the South since uh, nineteen since this before this movie came out. Oh god, that's why they have it on bottom. So Universal Studios insisted Howard the Duck be made with animatronic suits, costumes, and puppets, as Lucas was under contract to produce a live action film. At the time, animated movies were not considered money makers. I'm so thankful that's the case. Why? How come you, you didn't you didn't want this to be an animation? No, like Ralph Bashki or something. Uh, no, it, you know what? What? I still don't consider animated movies to be real. They're not real movies. They're okay. They're a distraction. They're something fun. But it's not a real. If they if they said the next if so, let's just go to your sweet spot. Your favorite if, Batman movie is Mask of the Phantasm, an animated. That's feature. because they keep making bad ones. Oh, I'm telling you, if they announced <laughs> the next Batman movie yeah. was not live action but was going to be a cartoon for the cinema, yeah. Would you feel that was as legitimate and real and gave you what you wanted good point, like yeah. a live action? No. I don't point. think you would. There's something about it that and that's why it is you know the, the that's why the, the stories that succeed and that's not a fair example because it's taking something that's traditionally live action and making it you know, a, a cartoon that does seem like a, it, but it feels like a step down somehow. There are specific stories that work in that way, and yeah, I I, I love creature works. I love animatronics. Mm. I love costumes. I love puppets. The best thing that happened to Star Wars was was with the what was the the first new one? Oh, Force Awakens. Force Awakens when they didn't do CGI. In, in, they obviously did do CGI, but they didn't do it for all the costumes and creatures yeah, and things. Yeah. They had great animatronics, great puppeteers, great actual... Pu- I don't care if... like I've never thought of Chewbacca as a guy in a costume, ever. Not once. And yet, 
Jar Jar doesn't hold up, and and that's just the way it is. Well, Jar Jar's doesn't hold up for several reasons that we won't go into because everybody hates Jar Jar, except uh, that he really is the Sith Lord, the Jar Jar conspiracy. <laughs> yes, the way the movies were meant to go, Jar Jar is the Phantom Menace. You can't convince me otherwise. It's a conspiracy. Uh, George Lucas changed his mind at the last minute. The movie would have been better if Jar Jar was the Sith Lord. Please continue. I, I know this theory. I was about to talk about it as well, but no, I will continue. In the early 1980s, Lucas was worth $60 million, but was struggling to find liquid cash. Liquid cash? Is that just cash he can spend? Yeah, so um, if uh, your worth can be two things. It can be um, buildings you own and, and, and assets. Uh, assets that you own, laptops and all that kind of stuff, um, and, and and to a certain degree, people, um, mm-hmm. or it's actual cash in the bank. Cash in the bank is liquid, and and everything else kind of is 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 not. That's a shame. Presumably, it also it also could be um, his worth could be projected with. So it could be the rights to Star Wars are mm. worth sixty million. You don't have that in your bank to spend, right? Yeah. Until you until you sell the rights to those movies, you don't have the full sixty million. You've got whatever trickles in. Well, it wouldn't trickle in with Star Wars, but whatever floods in from merchandise sales, revenue sale, you know, and royalties and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's liquid. That makes sense. Presumably deep and whole for the Howard production, which had yet to be released, in 1986, he decided to sell the graphics group to none other than Steve Jobs. Oh! Oh! Do okay. these people hang around in a pub together? Do they okay. Do they all share people? Are they, are they linked? Why do these rich people hang <laughs> around each other, Rob? Why can't they... Actually, I don't want to hang around with Steve Jobs. Illuminati, mate. Illuminati. Illuminati. That's why the uh, iPhone is white. That's why it's I all think- white. I think I know where this is going now, then. Yeah, you know so, where this is going. So you, you know where Steve, it's going. Steve Jobs, in 1986, buys the graphics group. Yep. Jobs had left Apple, and on February 3rd, 1986, he paid Lucas $5 million for the group, along with investing $5 million in capital. He initially, initially, he planned that the company would focus primarily on the marketing of a new kind of computer. Hmm. So... And here's the final bit. This is where it all comes together. The graphics group was renamed to, you guessed it, Pixar. Man. By 1984, sorry, by 1994, they made their first feature movie, Toy Story, the first computer animated feature ever made. So there you have it. Howard the Duck left the graphics group languishing, and eventually we got Pixar. I think... The, the listeners can agree, and you can agree, Will, that Howard the Duck doesn't seem anything like the rest of the Marvel characters that we have ever looked at. No, no, no. He's he's absolutely different. I mean, my doesn't first thought, he looks like a spoof of Donald Duck to me. It's just, he looks mm. like that kind of ilk. So let's take a trip behind the page now, then, and, and, and look at how this this character came about and how we got to the screen um the funny animal the talking funny animal tradition in in in, in, in that we see with, with in comic books it has deep roots in the comic book world and the world of animation 
um, talking animals that, that walk upright, uh, wear clothes and live in houses and, and have jobs and stuff and are like us. They're so linked with the stylized drawings of cartoons. And to your point, the best known are Disney and Warner Brothers, the Looney Tunes yeah. and things. But in the early days of animation, every animation studio featured some version of funny talking animal characters. Yeah, standard. Um, and for decades, animal characters were synonymous with children's comics. And it's kind of important at this point we recognise that there is a distinction between comics and children's comics. They, they, hmm. There is a difference. And this was never more apparent than during the underground comics boom of the late 60s and the early 70s. Comics spelt C-O-M-I-X. The X is there to denote that these comic strips, comic books, were stylized with mature content for adults. Yeah. Um, and, and, and during that boom, a number of artists began to basically appropriate the children's funny animal characters <laughs> to m- tell very different adult intense stories it sounds like that uh, ralph bashke film about that cat well please let me continue will oh <laughs> and i sorry, shall tell you sorry you the, carry the, on. the talking animals in underground comics they they drank they swore they had sexual relationships they mm. took drugs they were violent um they're inverting the squeaky clean image of disney and and looney tunes by turning them into these kind of icons of subversive underground art worlds we see them in um uh we see them in things like uh art spiegelman's mouse yes yes for the for the very first time um we see it in fritz the cat which That's then the became one. the the animated feature um but based based on these very underground comics is i mean M- M- mouse was really published much later on of course mouse is a story of the holocaust told through the concept of having uh talking animals um the jewish characters are mice and uh the nazis are cats yes it won the pulitzer prize the very first bit of, of comic book art that ever did but it, it had an early run out in in the late 60s early 70s um <clears throat> so they're, they're taking these squeaky clean characters and using them to to, to kind of sub to, to subvert that um and as unbelievable as that sounds this is the basis for a mainstream Marvel comic book character. Okay, okay. We, we've talked about the, the Comic Book Code Authority, um, which is a set of basically self-imposed restrictions, but restrictions nonetheless that comic book companies were, were, were pressured into adhering to in the 1950s and, and beyond to stop them from being regulated by a government body, mm. to make sure they were available in every uh, newsstand and, and every shop that would sell comics. Go back. We we our episodes are evergreen. Go back if you're checking us out for one of the first times. We know we've got so many new listeners. Go back and check out our Blade episode for a great 
little history of the Comic Code Authority and what that meant to comic books at the time. But by the 1970s, the the culture in America had changed significantly from the 50s and the Comics Code was starting to be relaxed um, and companies were allowed to publish things like horror th- not too graphic horror themed comics mm. that's the wave that we see in marvel create characters like ghost rider blade morbius the living vampire which is out uh, next year i believe <laughs> yes, and yes, and yes. marvel's own version of 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 dracula and one of these stories these these comic book titles was called adventure into fear and it featured the horror-themed stories of Man-Thing, a yes. swamp-dwelling plant-based monster, which, FYI, predates DC's Swamp Thing, um, that was written by uh, a guy called Steve Gerber. Mm. This podcast is about Steve Gerber. Howard the Duck is Steve Gerber. Entirely. Um, when it's if it if it matters and it's important and it's artistic, it's Steve Gerber. And there's a little touch on other sides where where other writers do some interesting things with it. How the duck? This podcast is Steve Gerber. Gerber was um, a young comic book fan that was as a young man going crazy working in the advertising world. As as a as a teenager, he had worked and created some of the very early fanzines in the comic book world Mm. published by fans for fans and printed and sent out to fans Um, this was in the 1960s before there was any other way of mass communication fans would create their own self-published magazines about the comic book world and they would write letters to each other that would be printed in these magazines, and they would write what they thought about comic books, print up a little magazine. You know, maybe they make, I don't know, 200, 300, 500 copies. Yeah, yeah. And and there would be a mailing list, literally a list that you would have to write off for and subscribe to, and it would be sent to you in the post. you have to write a check to purchase it. Gerber was involved in that world, and then as a younger man, uh, an older, well... An older person, but a young man, <laughs> he was kind of going mad in the in the in the advertising world and managed to make the successful transition to comic books. He he was handed the reins on Man Thing, right? And he quickly showed the world that he was uh, much more interested in writing comic books that were about ideas. Ah, okay. Rather, rather than writing comic books that were about fighting and adventures mm. and the general grind of month to month, have a fight, action, beat the villain, um, which makes his work always stand out. Gerber's um, he, he he produced thoughtful stories in Man Thing on things like environmental conservation, destruction, on cruelty amongst teenagers man thing became the background and the setting for a series of 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 dark and twisted morality tales in which depressed clowns and corrupt oil barons find either justice or their own grim 
horrible end in Man-Thing's murky swamp. It sounds a bit like Sandman. Neil Gaiman's Sandman had that kind, yeah, of, kind of feel to it. Yeah, which is very heavily inspired by Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and, and, ah. and, and other iterations of Swamp Thing. And in and of itself has its basis follows on from, to a certain extent, Man-Thing. Mm. Um, in 1973, an issue of Man-Thing, Steve Gerber was searching for a surprising and ridiculous image for a Man-Thing story that, that had this kind of sword and sorcery tale, you know, Conan, that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gerber instructed the artist Val Mayerick to come up with a talking duck to include alongside a sorcerer and a and a, a muscular barbarian. Um, Conan the Barbarian was one of the most popular Marvel comics of the 70s. So Gerber wanted to kind of subvert that ultra-macho concept. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian... And he wanted to subvert it with Howard the Duck. <laughs> That's the basis of the name. Because it's, it's not Daffy Duck, it's not Donald Duck, it's Howard the Duck. Is that it, it is a go. complete subversion of this ultra... What would look more ridiculous alongside Conan the Barbarian than Howard the Duck? <laughs> um, and... and, and, and and Mayerick drew this 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 throwaway character, this unnamed duck, um, at the time as a cigar smoking crank in a rumpled jacket, shirt and tie. <laughs> and he has this great line about um, absurdism, and you don't. Someone in the story says something like, "My life has become absurd," and this. Duck comes out of the of the crowd and says, "You don't know what absurd is, mate. I'm surrounded by hairless apes the whole time. My <laughs> life's more absurd than yours, smoking this great fat stogie." Oh. A, a talking duck didn't really set the right tone for this this horror fantasy comic. Howard was never intended to do anything, go anywhere, be anything. So the character was shelved. No plans to bring him back, and that's when. Gerber, Mayrick, and Marvel Comics first learned, first, not last, but first learned of Howard's incredible ability to connect with the public and inspire the public. Because for whatever reason, readers started a grassroots letter-writing campaign demanding more of this... (laughs) Funny, ridiculous, cigar-chomping duck. Where is he? When is he coming back? Where's the duck? Why isn't there a more duck? Is a duck going to be in the next episode? And we see this so much now on Twitter. When a TV show has a a moment of almost an absurd little... And you go, oh, that really stood out. And everyone tweets, I'm only here for the duck. Or I might be watching the X-Files, but the duck was the best bit in the X-Files. <laughs> or whatever it might be. And you, you know that thing that you feel on, on, on social media? of Everyone yep, yep, going, yep, yep, yep. this one moment is why... We like the show, but we also... We want the duck back. That is what happened. This grassroots letter-writing campaign 
started up. But also at the same time, aren't they aware of uh, diminishing returns? <laughs> the law of diminishing returns could play... Not really, because you're just caught up in it. One yeah, Canadian yeah, yeah. reader went so far as to mail a duck carcass to Marvel's offices, oh along with a note reading, Murderers, how dare you kill off this duck? Bring him back. That, I mean, um, 10 out of 10 for effort, but jeez, no. And, and, and so... Uh, Gerber was allowed to and did bring Howard back. And what happened is Adventures into Fear featured Man-Thing as the main story. But then there could be something in the back, a couple of few pages in the back, a backup story, as it's called in comic books. You don't get a lot of time, but you get an extra story. And so Adventures into Fear, Man-Thing's comic became Man-Thing. And in the back, the, the Adventures of Howard the Duck. Um, and after the success of those little short stories, Marvel gave Steve Gerber and Howard their very own comic book series in, in 1976. Um, by the next year, by 77, Howard the Duck was a pop culture phenomenon. A popular story... So one of the stories that that Gerber wrote, and it's really, really good, is this satire of politics in which Howard the Duck runs for president. (laughs) Um, And the policies he he, he runs on now, the policy he runs on then to this day seems so wild and they're capturing a spirit and a mood. So... um, Howard uh, gathers up single-use plastic and drives it in a dump truck back to the um, companies that make it and dump it all over their offices. Uh, one of the other things he does is he goes... He, he says that um, everyone always wants to make more weapons, bigger weapons, bigger bombs, bigger weapons. We've got to cut something. So Howard creates Fort Neanderthal. The thing he's cut from the army's budget is housing. <laughs> if you want to have great big weapons, cool. You now have to live in a cave. Want to be a Neanderthal, a caveman? Have at it. You have the best weapons available to man, but you don't have plumbing. <laughs> uh, and 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 this was this went on for a little bit, and they and they had they had these really nice little uh, little little moments in the in the comic book and a popular story contends because what they did as part of it is they they launched a PR based campaign to get Howard the Duck elected president of the United States in the 76 presidential election. Mm. You could write into Marvel and receive a Howard the Duck election campaign kit which included a a pin badge and uh, the instructions for what you should do to vote for Howard the Duck. And a popular story says uh, that that thousands and thousands of writing votes in that election were for Howard the Duck. Um, <laughs> Marvel created and sold a Howard the Duck newspaper comic strip. So what I'm talking about there was a comic strip. So in newspapers, you get the funny pages yeah. or the the comics with like like Asterix, Hagar the Horrible, uh, Garfield, yeah, those Garfield, kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Those have a circulation 
so much bigger than any single comic book that is available. It's unreal. Oh yeah, because right? they're, they're part of news dailies. Yeah. Yeah. So Marvel created and sold a Howard the Duck newspaper strip. Something that then had only been done ever before with Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man is bigger than anything else in, in, in Marvel and maybe even in DC at the time. Yeah. So Spidey has this huge popularity. That's something that Marvel can sell to all these newspapers across the country. For a brief shining moment in the 70s, Howard the Duck is right up there. Right up there with Spider-Man. His comic strip is being carried in 100 newspapers across America, making him far more mainstream and widely read than any other Marvel character that is just in a comic book. Um, When a Cleveland newspaper stopped carrying the Howard strip, Fans that were working at the local uh, television station, WJKW, decided to pick up the torch and carry on by televising the Howard the Duck newspaper strip (laughs) on a nightly basis. For two minutes a night, every night, they drove... They drove out of their area. They bought the newspaper from from the next town over. They brought it back. And for two minutes a night, every night, they they zoomed in on the Howard oh, the Duck strip God. and they read the dialogue out aloud. No. Um, <laughs> That's just ridiculous. But but with this um, this big fame came scrutiny. Uh, Disney felt, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that Howard the Duck looked too similar to Donald Duck. Yeah, and they threatened this lawsuit with Marvel. It, now instead of Marvel arguing the case that Donald Duck. Um, is not the first and not the only and does not own the right to be a talking duck wearing clothes because Donald Duck came along way after the talking animal kind of phase in animation and comics. Marvel just immediately caved in. They did not want the fight. Mm. Um, and, and they agreed to change Howard's uh, appearance. Uh, Marvel and Disney reached this ridiculous agreement. Into Marvel... Marvel were absolutely stupid in this. Really, really stupid. It's weird when you think about how what happened in the end when Marvel comes under Disney. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool, really cool point I'd written down for later on, but I guess I won't do that now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't talk. I'll just let you talk forever. <laughs> so Marvel capitulated completely to Disney. And so this deal they come up with is that... Um, not only is is it does Howard get redesigned, but Marvel don't even get to redesign him. Oh, Disney no. redesign, and there's these that you can find them online. We'll, we'll post them on the Patreon. There are these um, sheets showing Disney's designs that Marvel have to adhere to. The changes in how his hair is, how his bill is drawn, that he has to wear pants at all times. And the, the 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 legal agreement that Marvel signs is that they're locked into this appearance forever. They can't change it. Um, really ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and and it things aren't you know, at the end of the seventies. Um, Steve Gerber l- leaves the How the Duck character. He has these creative differences and these pay differences with Marvel. And then Marvel decides to cancel the monthly comic book. Mm. 
And they relaunch Howard the Duck as a bi-monthly black and white magazine. Oh, right. By doing that, you completely um, circumnavigate the Comic Code Authority. Oh, so they don't have to worry about redesigning. No, they do because that's already in place. That's that's, already, that's, oh, that's, sorry, sorry. That's, re- the comic comic code authority is generally about um, content and tone. Hmm. Um, but what it means is they they the the black and white magazines that Marvel published in the seventies were for a more grown up adult audience. Hmm. So they have they're not sold alongside. Um, comic books for kids they're sold in a newspaper rack which is a, a magazine rack which is for whatever reason completely different when it comes to marketing to the public so the comic code authority do not despite the fact it contains comic book art if it's done as a magazine the size is different the glossy cover is different it's black and white and not color it contains some aspects of prose and articles and stuff Magazines, the Comic Code Authority do not care about, <laughs> and they're sold as magazines alongside, wow. you know, Guns and Ammo, Yachting Monthly, whatever else. So they can lean into a much more adult audience. Something which Steve Gerber would have relished, but he left before they made that change. Um, and then we get the big, the big cupupence, nineteen eighty. Steve Gerber learns that Marvel are licensing Howard the Duck for use outside of comic books in film, basically. Mm. And he files a copyright infringement lawsuit against Marvel. Oh, well. Well, against their parent company. Um, alleging that he is the sole owner of the character and not Marvel. This would seem really weird to you and me now. Because we kind of know how copyright law works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in 1980, there had not been there had not been any high profile cases like this at all. Um, this was like the first highly publicized Ooh. creator rights case in 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 the in the comic book industry. Um, and whether he had a leg to stand on or not is hard to say, but it garnered loads of support from major industry figures um including well you don't have to really take too many guesses as soon as someone finds out as soon as a certain artist finds out someone is uh, filing lawsuit against marvel jack kirby comes <laughs> out of the woodwork <laughs> to go yes they're evil yes um, could i please punch stan in the face yeah and and, and oh, steve gerber perfect. and jack kirby um, create a comic book together called Destroyer Duck, which is an independently published Steve Gerber, Jack Kirby thing, and all the proceeds from that go to help his legal case and things. And it it, <laughs> it, it takes about two years, two three years, and in the end, oh. it's settled out of court. We don't know all the details, but um, uh, Steve Gerber publicly acknowledges that. The character was done as work for hire. Marvel own it. Blah 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 blah. So that's kind of that's how that all 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 ends. The, the court case right before the movie starts to go to be uh, to be put into production. Okay, so obviously, like I, I, I know I know it's a case of hey, that's my work. I should protect it. 
It sounds like he's way more important than I originally pegged him down. Like, how... how why is Howard the Duck an important Marvel character? He's not a superhero. He's just a, a funny little thing. He's just like a novelty item. Yeah, you're so... It's exactly how it appears, and especially because of the movie. Mm, yeah. Um, it might be the most artistic comic book Marvel have ever done. Oh. So, it's kind of because he's not a superhero... And it, and it's it's this this brief period of time, and it's just the first series that Gerber writes, where Marvel are happy to publish. Well, that's not true. So at this time, Marvel Marvel are publishing comics that basically weren't telling the same kind of superhero stories. Mm. Things like Man Thing, um, and Morbius the Living Vampire, which takes place in Avengers: The Fear as well, Conan the Barbarian. Um, Shang Chi, Iron Fist, oh, yes. like they're so completely different to the main superhero comics that were carrying on Stanley and Jack Kirby traditions of the sixties. With Howard the Duck, Steve Gerber is writing for the modern America of of the nineteen seventies. He's writing for a disillusioned America, an America that has like had its collective soul. Uh, shaken by the Vietnam War and how that ended and and everything that came out about it by Nixon's presidency, by the Watergate scandal, by the Vietnam protests, by this generation quake. You know, Howard the Duck is the most subversive comic book Marvel has ever published. Um, Even though it's bright and colourful, and features wacky characters and a talking duck, Steve Gerber was somehow able to publish what is basically an artistic underground comic, like the one we talked about, like, like you know, we talked about the com- underground comics. Yes, it, yes, It was yes, like yes. that, but done by Marvel. Ah, right. Obviously, it is not graphic, there's not swearing, there's not drug-taking. It's, it's, it's content, right? And it's mm. what you can do. Um, one issue took place entirely on a bus <laughs> as the characters went from A to B. That's the whole issue. Uh, another issue featured virtually no comic book art and was instead comprised of written text and illustrations from Gerber about how hard it is to write Howard the Duck. Wow. At this point, during the series, Gerber becomes editor and writer. Right. That very rarely happens. And it means Gerber doesn't have to ask the editor permission to publish it. Gerber is the editor. Yeah, I was about to say there's a reason why that usually doesn't happen. Here's how the first issue kind of goes. The okay. very first issue of Howard the Duck. Before he's editor. It opens with Howard the Duck, a cartoon duck, about to commit suicide. Yeah. He's about to drown himself. Um... He's been taken somewhere he doesn't know about. He he, he climbs a very sinister tower. And as he climbs this sinister tower that you think from a distance is like a medieval tower, Mm. it's made entirely of credit cards and bills and debt. And as he climbs to the top, he's going to throw himself off and kill himself. Um, On page three, he's breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the reader. 
he he encounters like the classic sword and sorcery sorcerer, like road medieval sorcerer yeah. who lives in the credit card tower. But this is the sinister pro rata chief accountant <laughs> of the universe who uses the cosmic calculator. Um, Spider-Man shows up, um, and it's really weird. Sp- Howard realizes he can stop pro rata by grabbing him and committing suicide like he was going to do at the start of the book. Complete just jumping off with him. There's this nihilistic cynicism in it. Um, Spider-Man is super weird in the book. After kind of making sure Howard doesn't die, Spider-Man leaves by catching a helicopter with a web to be Mm. carried off. And Spider-Man says, as he leaves, I've got to go. Here comes my convenient helicopter. (laughs) That's issue one. Like, Howard is... That's... Um, you, you're right? <laughs> yeah, just, just, just taking it all in. It's just like... Yeah. Yeah, that's why you have editors. No, he, he had an editor at the time. He, oh, that was, oh, sorry, he had meant, an editor. Sorry, I thought you meant that was, that was him. We, we, no, that happens editor. a little bit later on. I think that happens like a year in. Um, Howard is this unlikely visitor from another world. The classic outsider role. Like we like we chatted about before, and um, and that gives him the ability to like comment on contemporary society, it, the abject absurdities that you perhaps don't see yeah. when it's every day to you. In in the aftermath of Nixon and, and Vietnam, being anti-establishment was no longer just for fringe weirdos like it was in the sixties, and Howard's. Don't tread on me, man. Attitude captured uh, an absolute effing mood of the seventies, and it spoke to it in a way that the superheroes were not doing. Um, Steve Gerber, he was writing this comic about ideas, really, rather than like we said, fighting and action. Mm. How the duck was was like seventies cynicism in glorious color with a talking duck. How would cross paths with cult leaders, corrupt politicians, profiteering businessmen who were basically just gangsters? Um, and sure, he encountered like really weird villains, but his real enemy was corporate influence and consumerism. That is yes. nailed down. A lot of the monsters in the series are like corporate. And corporate entities and consumer products brought to life. Um, the third issue of how the duck satirizes the martial arts craze and our desensitization to violence. There's an. In- <laughs> this is the moment we yeah. talked about with Lucas. Mm-hmm. There's an entire issue that targets Star Wars and the commercialization of movies. Yeah, where a spoof of Darth Vader controls the death store and wants to <laughs> wants to convert earth into a, a shopping mall and toy store yeah that's when george lucas someone slid him this comic don't you make any bemoans about it that's when he first saw it um mm. it attacked um the, the the you know the moonies the unification movement oh which i don't was, know about that there was, there was in the seventies. There was this sort of dangerous cult, and their leader who who claimed to be the second coming. How the duck? There's a whole issue on that. They went after um, Anita Bryant, who was this 
kind of alleged political um, activist who formed an extreme fundamentalist group called Save Our Children, which attacked gay rights and abortion rights in the 70s. So Gerber creates a group of insane bad guys called Sufi, save our offspring from indecency, suicide bombers that blow up pornography shops and rock concerts, (laughs) and create a brainwashing device called the Blanditron, which is literally (laughs) a big washing machine that you put humans in. Um, But aside from all the things that he's... It satirizes Howard the Duck is such a different kind of Marvel character. Yeah, Howard is cynical, mm. which you know you might later on ascribe to things like tough guys like Wolverine and the Punisher, but he's not a tough guy. He's passive aggressive. He's suicidal. He's nihilistic. Um, more often than not, he has no desire to take part in the action, the wild adventures that are happening to him. All of the action is forced upon Howard. He wants nothing to do with it to begin with at the start of everything. Um, there's uh, Gerber's talked about um, that, that, that Howard the Duck is, is the main inspiration he draws is from a 1940s French novella called The Stranger by. I think it's Arthur Camp as the name mm. of, of the author, which is um, a, a novel that is really about kind of nihilism, cynicism, and also kind of philosophical absurdism. Mm. The idea that absurdism is uh, looking for meaning in a world, our world, which is inherently meaningless. Mm. Being a stranger in a strange world, being always alone and searching for meaning that will never come, that everything that happens in life is generally painful and absurd. And that was the the basis for Howard the Duck, which is being published by Marvel Comics <laughs> and available to children. Will... We have had a a really a really nice little response on Howard the Duck. Yeah, um, you, you never quite know when we start these things. Like, uh, who is going to have memories and thoughts, especially when it's like a non MCU film, especially when it's something like this, the very first Marvel movie. Uh, before we delve into the mailbag, there, there was a couple of comments. It's by one specific person. He tried to claim that this is not the first Marvel... We actually had quite a few that claim this is not the first Marvel movie. <laughs> I saw. They bring they bring up things like a TV movie. Yeah. No. No, mate. No one, when they say movie, means a TV, something that was on telly with adverts in it. When anybody in the world says movie, they mean a thing that was at the cinema. Yeah, and I someone else I sorry. saw I saw that one and I and I just went why are you arguing with that guy? I know that guy. You don't argue with that guy. <laughs> uh, he does it a lot. And then someone brought up Red Sonia. Ah, um, that's it. I saw that. That was interesting. As being a Marvel character, which is just it's a it's a gray area. Mm, okay. Uh because Red Sonia is the the the, the like kind of female sidekick counterpart to Conan the Barbarian. Yep. She gets a Conan movie before we get Howard the Duck, and Red Sonia, like the like the Conan characters, is a licensed character that Marvel was able to print and publish adventures about in in Marvel comics and stuff. Um, 
Red Sonia, though, the name and, and the strong female thing is uh, Robert E. Howard character. Mm-hmm. She's slightly different in the comics. And, and admittedly, the changes they make in the comics are kind of reflected in the movie. But here's the deal. Marvel do not own Red Sonia. <laughs> then they never have. <laughs> so I think we can conclusively say Red Sonia is not a Marvel character if, you know, they don't own her. Is, um, um, in the film, is she played by who I think she's played by? Yes. Oh, good. That's the answer to that question then. Bridget, Bridget Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen. Nielsen. Yes. Yeah. Nielsen, not Nelson. Yes, that's right. So we'll uh, delve into your mighty sack of treasures. My way, mighty sack of treasures. What do we have here? Ah, here they go. David Ferguson said, "This is a great film. Look at those practical effects. The Steve Gerber comic is a rightly a classic and was delicious, often satire on Americana. Get down, America. Howard the Duck for president." Get down, America. Indeed, that was the slogan they used for How the Ducks um, presidential election campaign. And when you wrote off to the to Marvel to get the uh, election, the campaign kit, you got this incredible badge that said, uh, <laughs> How the Duck Get Down, America. Um, and it stuck. It really stuck for that brief kind of 18-month period in the 70s. Thank you very much, Dave. And we got one from Michael Milling, who wrote in to say, It is a freaking crazy movie, but a firm favourite of my youth. (laughs) Showing it to my daughter when she was three or four made me realise how scary it is. She managed the whole film, though, with minimal emotional scarring. Duck boobs are very scary. Well, minimal emotional scarring... As far as we know. As far um, as we know. <laughs> Cram it lot, deep in there. Deep down. A lot of these deep-seated issues come out later in life. So, yeah. um, well, thank you for that, Mike. And, 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 hey, I mean, the best follow-up to that experience is to make your daughter, not make, let your daughter, as a young child, listen to the Marvel vs. Marvel podcast all about the movie. Yay! Think of all the context she's missing. Yeah. yeah, she definitely needs to know about box office takings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got one from Howard Walker who messaged us to say, it came out when I was 14. As a secondary school student struggling to fit in with my peers, it's difficult to put into words how absolutely overjoyed I was that they called the duck Howard. They might as well have delivered bags full of dog mess to my school and given them to all the other students to throw at me. <laughs> Such was the joy it brought. Oh, poor Howard. Howard. Poor, poor, bullied poor Howard. Howard. That'll teach you for having a duck name. I mean, it's a yeah. clearly a duck name. You might as well be called Donald. Ridiculous. Yeah. Daffy. Ridiculous no, name. No, no one outside of Wales is called Daffy. Uh, you can get in touch with us here at Marvel vs. Marvel and let us know what you think of the movies we're covering or the ones we have covered uh, covered, covered, covered um, <laughs> by dropping us a line to Marvel vs. Marvel at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Um, if you want to show us shorter love, uh, shorter love, you can do that <laughs> on Twitter where you can find us at Marvel versus keep that love to a nice tight 140 characters. And you can follow us on Twitter there and you can get all sorts of updates on what we're doing, when we're doing it, how we're doing it, uh, which we, we love to hear. Um, but of course, the very best place to interact with us 
is by following us, not following us, joining us on our main website, the place to be, that is patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And that is where not only do you get all the updates, uh, all the information, all the facts, but you also get all of our bonus content. Look, this podcast is a lot of work. Yep. I think, guys, I think you all gained like a new appreciation for that during the month of April because that's when we put out so many incredible uh, episodes for all of you guys um, in terms of the, the the extra little bonus episodes, the unscripted show, uh, taking one of our, our, our full-length bonus episodes from behind the paywall and giving it away for free and all of that kind of groovy groovy cool stuff we launched a brand new um a brand new uh podcast series only on patreon uh we put tons of love and effort into this podcast and right now some of you out there are insulting us quite frankly will yes Um, yes they are you're you're not doing what you need to do what is the right thing, the correct thing, the moral, ethical thing to do. And that's supporting us. Hmm. Supporting us in the Herculean effort that is creating this podcast on a regular basis. Tell me someone else goes this deep and this hard on Howard the Duck. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Find me a podcast that does what we (laughs) did in the Punisher episode, one of our best episodes, you know, find us a podcast that's doing not just the MCU, not just the popular kids at the new table, right, that everyone wants to talk about, but it's doing Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV movie, that's doing the 90s animated cartoon universe, that's doing all of the big things we do, you can't find it out there. Except X-Men 3. (laughs) Except X-Men 3, and if you do find it... What are they doing? Yeah. 30 minutes. <gasps> an hour? Are they doing an hour? Will, are they doing an hour? They're doing an hour, aren't they? Up please. to an hour. Please. And here's the other thing as well. And I saw this around the time when One Division was coming out and people were talking about things like House of M, mm. right? Here's what I saw when people were talking and doing these podcasts and these write ups about House of M. They got it all wrong. <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Because they were they were they were using Wikipedia and they were using these online resources, right? Yeah. That mention House of M in the context of the retcons and revisions that were done to the story four or five years down the line. <laughs> That's not how you do it. And the reason nope. they did that is because they weren't there at the time reading these comics. Some of us were. Some of us know our history. Some of us are here for that. And the reason you present these things without revisions and retcons is to give you the full picture, the deep dive, sometimes even the deeper dive. You don't just talk about the Falcon being the Falcon. You talk about Snap Wilson. You talk about Nazi islands. Yay! You deal with how it all came together and happened. And that's what we give you. Full, unabashed context to understand these journeys. 
And that's what we give to you. It's not just talking about all the incredible different characters and projects that Marvel have done over the years. It's not just trying to understand this journey. It's not just that we do episodes that are two two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, three and a half hours. It's that we give you that real context. You know in your heart that this is not like any other podcast you subscribe to. Get them for free. Take them for free. Of course you get them for free. They should pay you. (laughs) Not with Marvel versus Marvel. You know you owe us. And you know you need to do the right thing. And you can do that over on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. You can support us for just £3 a month. And, and, And you'll get great rewards in return for three pounds a month you get access to our brand new podcast series obscure marvel mini episodes every month where me and will dive into the most ridiculous marvel characters you have ever ever never heard of Uh, we just dropped one the start of this month the first of may having a lot of fun with a marvel villain called the armless tiger man how is how is that for you will (laughs) i i had so much fun with that it was the most ridiculous thing and as i've said every time i was genuinely laughing before i even saw the picture just the name that is that is an exclusive podcast series that is only for us everyone that subscribes to us on patreon gets that even if you subscribe for the for the three pound tier to show us that support which we appreciate and love and which keeps us going keeps the lights turned on helps us pay for all the incidental costs around here and then we've got the people that that join for early access we've noticed uh, an uptake in that during this little uh sabbatical this little week off we had when suddenly instead of you know you don't even getting only one week without us suddenly it's two and well, suddenly you're starting to really feel it aren't you we basically starved them and we see we have and we saw an uptake in people going i can't wait till monday i've got to get it friday i want to listen to it friday and saturday <laughs> and sunday i can't wait until monday like the rest of the world nice little uptake in the five pound early access tier then we've got the people that can't handle just two shows a month. They need that full show, that that full bonus episode, that that third show. They need that special extra show every single month. And they subscribe at £10 to get our full-length bonus episodes, which we've been dropping for a while now. That's where you can find out things, episodes on Avengers Disassembled. You can find the full House of M journey. You don't get it anywhere else. I've listened to them. I've read their little blogs, and I've listened to their little 25-minute, 30-minute podcasts, and they're summarizing what is available on Wikipedia. Waste man. We do it proper. We do it right. House of M, Avengers Disassembled, the darkest Punisher stories ever told by Garth Ennis, the man behind the boys. That episode's up there with an explicit content warning because that one is dark. We've got Wolverine's dark history, if you want to talk dark. Wolverine's darkest moments. What did we drop just last month? We dropped The Nightmare of Peter Parker's Parents. Yes. An episode delving into the, the, the mental nervous breakdown of Spider-Man in the 90s. A compendium piece to one of our earliest bonus episodes, a little mini episode 
um, on on uh, the Clone Saga, which is also available for just the three pounds sign up. But the bonus full length bonus episodes are there every single month for the people that pay that ten pound fee. Then we got Peter J. Peter J. Shouldn't drop the last name. Mike, can we bleep that out? <laughs> then we've got Peter J. Peter J. <laughs> okay, just a second. I need to write down where I need to bleep. Yeah, you, you get one there down. We've got Peter J, who, very first subscriber, supported us since day one, upped his pledge again and again, you know, went up to that £10 tier. And then we introduced another tier. It's it's called Do the Right Thing. It's the £20 tier. And the Do the Right Thing tier gets you everything you got at £10. And the only other thing it gets you is praise, kudos, thanks. Instead of you thanking us with your money at £20, we thank you. <laughs> Peter J, his name should be all over this show because that's what he's doing. And he did that. He got to one year, one full year of supporting us. And he said, I can do more. I can give more. You deserve more. And that's why he's doing the right thing every single month. And we bow down and we show tons of respect and love to the man, Peter J. Part of why he's getting his own special privately recorded bonus episode uh, later on this month about the Fast and the Furious. It's an in-joke <laughs> from one of the bonus episodes. We're doing it. We're going to do a Marvel versus Marvel Fast and the Furious franchise episode that you'll never hear because you're not giving us that little bit extra. And what do we get to do in the middle of April? Will, we got to welcome uh, some people to the 100 Club. The 100 Club here at Marvel vs. Marvel is those people that have pledge to us £100 or more during their time with us, one-off payment sometimes, or a full year's subscription every month dropping that dollar, dollar, dollar. We got to uh, ring up our good friend Cody in Mississippi oh, and spend a yes. couple of hours chatting to uh, Cody, and he's been with us for a whole year now. Dropping that cheddar every month, not missing a month, not missing a payment. Missing a payment, we'll still be here for you when you come back, but... We won't Cody, send the boys over. We won't send the boys round, but Cody is there, giving it to us, just like we give to him, and we give to you. And so, we got to put that together, we got to ring Cody up, bright and early in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> And spend two hours having the best time with someone that's part of our family. And we've seen that since April. So many more people uh, joining uh, us on Patreon since April. April, welcome to the family. We love you. We see you. We respect you. If you're not in the club, if you're not in the family, I'm not saying we don't respect you, but we don't respect you as much. And you know you're doing the wrong thing. So what you need to do to cleanse your souls is head to uh, patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel we have laid the table i think i think we've taken will to a completely and hopefully you to a completely different place with your understanding and appreciation of howard the duck that's laying the table 
We, we, we've talked to the wonderful people that show us love, that get in touch, that tell us their thoughts. We've paid some bills, and now I think it is time for us to do our deep dive into Howard the Duck, the very first Marvel movie released. Will, <laughs> in the way that only you can, please take it away. I've got the VHS. I'm putting it in because it's an actual VHS because it comes from the 80s. <laughs> We're pressing play. Howard the Duck lives on Duck World, a planet similar to Earth, but inhabited by anthropomorphic ducks and orbited by twin moons. As he is reading Play Duck in his living room, his armchair suddenly propels him out of his apartment building, up into the sky and into outer space. After travelling through the cosmos, Howard eventually lands on Earth. In Cleveland, Ohio. Right, there's so much to unpack in the beginning scenes. You get this is the only part of the film you get a good look, a quick v- vignette at his home, yeah. and it's interesting. It's just basically alternate world, but it's a duck. So we've got duck posters at the start. I think are a bit too much because they're like duck film posters, but they've changed certain words to be. They're not, they're not too much. This is the this is the best scene in the whole movie. It is it's good, absolutely fantastic. If you don't like duck puns, <laughs> Get then out. you probably this movie's not for you. They also had play duck, which I thought was a bit too much, as it's going into furry's territory, and of course the duck boobs, duck Rat, boobs, duck boobs. That oh, was, that was just that was just you know that bit in Community. Where Dean's looking at the guy dressed as a Dalmatian, like the hunky guy dressed as a Dalmatian, right. and, he, and, and he goes, "I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me." I was there, I was there going, "I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me," and then I have a duck <laughs> fetish. I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, we have some bad news. This podcast has turned Will into a furry. I'm very sorry; it wasn't our intention. Like you said but last that's time, what's happened because I'm into I'm into Sonic the Hedgehog. You thought it would happen anyway. I, I'm I'm still, I'm convinced it has. Um, <laughs> it's not what you expect, is it? It's not what I expect. Uh, also, I was pleasantly surprised to see Thomas Dolby doing the soundtrack. Cool. Uh, not many people know him. He's an '80s synth guy. He did songs like uh, "She Blinded Me with Science," and it's uh, it's it's kind of cheesy, but at the same time, like you know, really good synth. If that makes sense. Is there actually such a thing, Will, as really good synth? You're talking to a big synthwave fan. <laughs> oh. So I'm going to go. Of, of yes. course, the Sonic the Hedgehog aficionado is a fan of synthwave. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> Indeed. I, I like when you crash this into Cleveland, Ohio, because I know nothing about Cleveland, Ohio, and it's like, this could be any city ever. And But, but he lands outside uh, like an underground music bar. And this is the thing that made me laugh, is that the manager of the underground music bar looked like any other manager. He had the, the power donut haircut and the little moustache, but he's dressed like a goth. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, to hammer home this is an 80s film, Howard, after all that time, says, talk about a rotten day. And I'm like, oh, God, this is really 80s. You know, that kind of dialogue. They're trying to do like it felt to me like they were trying to do cynicism, yeah, but 
they didn't know how to do it. It was like, you know when they say, Americans can't do sarcasm, they just know friends. And it's like, obviously not true, but it's that kind of level mm. of comparison between cynicism. It's just like, yeah. this is base level surface cynicism. This is there, There's nothing deep about it. Yeah, it was very similar. We watched uh, back in our Spider-Man animated series episode. We love that animated series. Ooh. But it... it it starts with Peter Parker just being harangued about new. It's like he's just webbing through the city, going, "Oh, what now?" <laughs> and the tone makes sense in a cartoon, and it was a little—I don't know—little. Uh, it doesn't make sense for How the Duck, and it kind of doesn't make sense in this movie. But but there we go. It sounds like the kind of thing anybody says in an eighties comedy after falling over. Or being covered in feces or something. Whatever whatever happened in the 80s. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, not really. It's just Back yeah. to the Future and other films. That's the 80s. Do, do you think they say that in Back to the Future? Uh, no. no. Or that in kind of... Beverly Hills Cop? No. 48 Hours? No. Wow. Let's <laughs> Stoke go for... Out? No. Let's what? go through every single 1980s comedy and say... They, well, they... you're just tarring them with the same brush of 80s films are rubbish and don't have good dialogue. I and did... I don't think that's a good brush I, to I use. wasn't saying they're all rubbish. What I'm saying is... There's this you kind said of, there's this, this is kind... bad language like any other 80s movie. Like that's most, what you said. Like most... You know the kind of 80s films that aren't particularly good films? They're going, hey... Bad films. Like any bad films. There are bad films in the, right now. Yeah, right they... now there are bad films. They're being made... As we speak, we can't stop them. They have terrible writers and bad actors doing awful dialogue, and they'll still make money. And they'll still say, talk about a rotten day. <laughs> I don't think so. I think rotten day's a uh, bit, bit dated, Will. Yeah, exactly. Like the <laughs> 80s. Bingo! It all comes around. It's all connected, isn't it, Rob? It's all connected. Wrong show. Wrong episode. Wrong episode. <laughs> it's all part of the extended Marvel verse of us. Don't worry. Anyway, Rob, I've got questions for you. Uh, Duck World. Hit me. I'll hit you with Duck World. Talk about a rotten day. Uh, (laughs) Duck World seems crazy, right? So this is where Howard comes from in the comic books. Is it supposed to be like this? Yes, and also, as well as that, no. Um, That was a roundabout way of your catchphrase. Yeah, because it isn't the same as... It's not the same as, as, as sort of, but not really... This is both. This is like. Um, this is like both at the same time. Are this you saying like, that sentence of a sort of but not really is sort of but not really? Yes. <laughs> so, yes, we've achieved it. Steve Gerber doesn't spend like virtually any time with the concept of Howard's homeworld because the entire conceit of Howard the Duck, as he sees it. The, yeah. the, the, the creator of him is that he's a stranger in a strange land the yeah. the actual science fiction aspect of where this stranger comes from is not appealing to Gerber and does not feature in his stories he does not care really he he, he just it's like um it's just a, a formula to give him this this great character to kind of to kind of go out into the world mm. but we do see a flashback of the of the world how it comes from in in one of the earliest earliest issues uh, that, that features Howard, and it it is not this. Um, right. It's an entire world of different anthropomorphic talking animals of all kinds. Oh, wow. so not just ducks. It's not a duck world. We see dogs wearing smart clothes and out on a date, and um, a, a mouse in a hat smoking a cigar, a, a cigarette. 
and a a duck with a top hat and a cane, a very fancy duck. Mm. Um, so that's pretty much all we see when it's Gerber's when Gerber is writing in the what we call the original series, the comic book series that mm. lasted until the just before the end of the of the seventies. Um, however, um, we talked about how the duck, it, the comic book, is cancelled, and then it's relaunched as this black and white How the Duck magazine, um, and that's published after Gerber left the character. And the new writer on that, Bill Mantlo, wrote stories depicting Howard's home world, and that's where we get Duck World, this world now entirely made of ducks talking ducks, um, and. Kind of in his defence, it's very easy to miss this like one panel flashback that Gerber and and Mayrick did to Howard's homeworld. So it's entirely possible he just completely missed it and, and never. It's not a big again. It's Gerber doesn't want to spend much time. It's not a big deal. Uh, Marvel kind of goes some way in some of their. Uh, you get these things called the Handbook to the Marvel Universe. It's like a guide that explains yeah. all the, the history. They kind of go some way in that. It doesn't actually, there's no actually, I don't think there's an in story explanation, but in some of like the background stuff that's written, I think Marvel kind of explains the, the backstory by saying that Howard's original world w- was merged with an alternate duck reality <laughs> or, or something quite weird. Merging worlds just sounds like a nightmare speaking as someone who deals with code. Uh, so the armchair blasting into space is that how how is that how Howard comes to Earth in the comics? Here it is, sort of, but not really. Um, Using its correct I mean, way. Howard, it, 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 that that scene feels to me like the Ghostbusters thing, you know, where she gets the demon armchair clamps onto her and drives her to the fridge. Yeah. Um, I, I got those vibes from it. So Howard's abducted from his home world by this uh, powerful unseen force. Like, uh, not, It's not really necessarily in his armchair. Um, and I don't think we ever really see it. But it's not science-based. Uh, but Howard lands in the Florida Everglades. Because a demon lord called Thog the Neverspawn is trying <laughs> is trying to ascend and become a god, a master of, of all reality. And that causes all realities to start converging and displacing people from, from different worlds. Um, and sort of a, a classic sorcerer to stop Thog puts together this band of displaced people to act as, as champions uh, and to stop Thog and so we get uh, Man-Thing Korek the Barbarian mm. and Howard the Duck um, and after Thog's defeated the, this this band of, of displaced people are walking um, on these magical stepping stones between realities to take each of them to their home worlds and Howard missteps, falls falls literally between the cracks and then he lands in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Any reason why they picked Cleveland, Ohio was it just like they, they went, uh, can we think of anything more boring? Straightforward? Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily necessarily think it's perhaps boring, but it's trying to find something that's not glamorous. There we That's the one I want, unglamorous, because Cleveland... So, yeah. Howard... Apologies to it, anyone from Cleveland, Ohio, if I called your city boring... 
If you fancy uh, emailing us with reasons why it's not boring, that would be great as well. To be a stranger in somewhere like New York, Manhattan, San Francisco perhaps, mm. would not be uncommon or out yeah. of the norm because those are places that have yeah quite an awful lot of, of people. Like no one's from there, everyone moves there. Yeah. Um, to, this is the kind of... Uh, to, to to make Howard stand out as an outsider, it's a place where people born, raised, live, have their lives. So it's that kind of, a, uh, I guess, more of a traditional... It's, it's certainly not a small... It's a, it's a big city. It's a major city. But it's not necessarily a place you would perhaps move to from the other side of the country, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, to, it's to really make Howard feel completely out of place in a... A, a, a town and a place that perhaps doesn't have a large immigrant population. That makes sense. Okay, so back to the film. Upon arriving, Howard encounters a woman being attacked by thugs, whom he defeats using a unique style of martial arts he calls, wait for it, quack foo. <laughs> after, the sh- th- after the thugs run away, the young woman introduces herself as Beverly Switzler. Did I get that right? Switzler. Yeah. Switzler. Switzler. And takes pity on Howard, who is hiding from the pouring rain in a trash can. Beverly decides to take Howard to her apartment and let him spend the night. As you do. As, as you do with a good old duck. Uh, Howard tells Beverly about his home planet and his past and not knowing where he is. Howard and Beverly come to the conclusion that maybe he's on Earth for some kind of great purpose. Okay. Young Leah Thompson in an 80s new wave band... I am on board. It's a great, great sound, great band. Like, yeah, everybody's looking punky in eighties with the hair up and everything. You, if you if you dig around into the reading on it, she worked so hard on the music side of it. I did. She, there was a lot of choreography involved as well. She her look was supposed to be modelled on Cindy Lauper, I think. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Of course, you would. You remember the tech noir scene in Terminator. Of course, it, it, yeah, because we were obs- uh, a mate of mine years and years ago. were obsessed with the song from it. We thought it, we thought it's quite a good song. It's like yeah. it's like you know, it's, it's that same kind of song, that kind of eighties middle of the road pop that you'd hear in Scarface or something. They kind like, they, <laughs> but, but that's still quite interesting. It has that same vibe as the Scarface soundtrack. There you go. There we go. Uh, also, uh, oh, okay, okay. I'm just going to say, yeah, I. Like, I, I need to say it again, young Lair Thompson with her hair all punky and this was such a great thing to see. Because it's just like, yeah, I, I just don't see that style anymore. I, I love it. Uh, also, when he goes through his wallet, how he goes through his wallet and discovers uh, a duck condom. Yeah. It really, really hits home that you don't know who this film's aimed at. They don't know. No one knows who this film they is aimed know. at. See, no, I, they've got no idea. They've got no idea. It was like when I watched Transformers 2 and they made loads of uh, blue jokes. And I thought, this, yeah. I thought this was a kid's movie. So they, 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 they completely whiffed it by, by not picking mm-hmm. a lane to, 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 to go in, to be in. Yeah, but um, you've got to pick a lane. So they've got the duck boobs at the start. They've got the condom. There's this whole thing I read in, in an article about this movie of, of how they... they partnered up with with Budweiser to do this massive sponsorship thing and there were these um <laughs> there these huge kind of cross promotion posters that were the movie poster mm. essentially with Howard in the armchair uh 
but he in, and and the and the newspaper in front of his face, but he was holding in his hand a Budweiser, and it was like a big Budweiser and Howard the Duck movie advert. And it was this article was like, well, why? Like you would never do that with a Superman movie nope, or nope, any kind of movie nope. that's kind of for the whole family. You nope. won't tie the character to a beer in the seventies to a beer brand. So it, it was like, uh, is it all going to be an adult movie then? And if it's an adult movie, why isn't it an adult movie? Why isn't it funnier? Why isn't it more? Aggressive or dirty, you know, blue jokes, bit of swearing, all that yeah. kind of stuff. There's none of that. None of that. It does. It just doesn't pick it. I'll tell you. Tell you what. Speaking, uh, all that marketing made me made me think of something. Speaking of kind of cartoony, kind of adulty films that had marketing but went terribly bad. Have you ever seen Cool World? Of course. Yeah. Great soundtrack. Terrible film. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did, did very, the marketing they did in that was insane in places. But they, yeah. again, it just completely fell down as to who's in charge and what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. couldn't pick it, a lane. It, it, Apparently, Ralph Bashke punched someone in the face on the way out. Of of what? Of of, of produce of making that film. He he walked out in production and punched someone of on the, the way set. out. Well, I say set. It's mostly animation, but yeah, yeah. He, God, yeah. He was that angry and told the animators, "Do whatever the hell you want," which is why the film is incomprehensible. It's awful. <laughs> it's but I so can remember bad. as a, as a child seeing the trailer and and oh. and being a child that like you know in in the kind of the pre internet world, seeing hot women was not always easily available to you. Yeah, and someone that like read comic books and and stuff. When there was a, a hot female in a comic book, you were like, oh, 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 beginning of puberty. And I remember seeing Cool would be like, I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie. There's a hot, there's a hot animated chick in it, and she keeps talking about having sex with a guy. I want to see that movie. And it was really, really crap. It it did. But the soundtrack, I'll say it again, very good. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, there we go. There we go. That was a bit of a, a bit of a tangent. Uh, can we talk about Quack Fu? I mean, is it? <laughs> Sorry, it's just like I, I'm looking back on my notes. It's like let's talk about Quack Fu. Speaking of, speaking of like, oh, it's an adult film, but they haven't really hit home. Like, oh, we should make it funnier and blue. Like, uh, let's go with Quack Fu because this is obviously aimed at children. Like, it's so insane. I can't work out who's invented for this movie. I mean, it was invented for the movie, right? It's not in the comics. This is a stupid thing, right? No, it's from the comics. No, <laughs> but but I'm going to change your mind. Okay, sell me, boy. Sell me like sort sell of. our Patreons. So How the Duck issue three takes this huge swipe at the 1970s like popular obsession with martial arts as entertainment. Yep. And it's a story called The Four Feathers of Death. And it features <laughs> on the front cover How the Duck Dressed as Shang-Chi. Um, and the story... It, to begin, it starts with Howard leaving a movie theatre after watching... A kung fu movie and he is disgusted by the fact that human culture would glamorize such violence mm. and he questions the merit of bastardizing an asian culture to make a violent film that encourages young people to imitate it and then he witnesses an exciting young man come out of the movie theater imitating the martial arts movie just saw which leads him into getting into a fight with a local Asian tough guy who beats the boy savagely for disrespecting his culture. He throws him through a window. 
Howard like begs the guy to not begs the guy, but tells him leave. It's a little. It's, he's he's a young kid. Leave him alone. This huge fight breaks out, and this boy is stabbed to death in the fight. Oh boy! To avenge the boy, Howard goes off and 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 you know rather ridiculously and quickly has this. It's never presented like it's never presented as real. He 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 learns martial arts, adapts the skills for his duck physique with his waddling arse and fe- tail feathers and everything and creates a style he comes quack foo there's basically like a comic book training montage and when it ends howard is outside the movie theater again but instead of he, like, he draws attention to it he's like how did i get here <laughs> i was just in a dojo you know it's not presented as like a you know a serious um kind of training montage yeah yeah the whole <laughs> like story that. The whole story was inspired by Steve Gerber witnessing a street fight in New York where a young man was stabbed to death on the street outside a movie theatre that was showing wall-to-wall violent martial arts movies. And he wrote this whole thing about it. Um, and, like, Howard, even in this in, in this story, he even takes shots at magazine racks filled with martial arts magazines for, for, for glamorising violence. That is something that Marvel was doing at that time. Or glamorizing Mar- violence. Howard is taking a shot directly at Marvel. Marvel was publishing these adult-themed black and white martial arts magazines like The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Iron Fist, Shang-Chi, oh. that, that teenagers could buy and did buy, young, young kids could buy. And that's the thing about Steve Gerber. He has balls of steel, <laughs> and he absolutely was not afraid to bite the hand that feeds him. You know, that's I have nothing but respect for that. That is brilliant. So it is a really daft thing, and it's obviously played for nothing but laughs. In the comic, it's played for laughs as well. But there's all this kind of this is he's, he's a real satire for a real reason, and he's really saying to the people that publish the comic. Hey man, do better. <laughs> it's 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 it it is so insane that comic and that ethos of the character led to this movie. <laughs> it is insane. Oh god. Led to a like there's a whole issue about how ridiculous George Lucas movies are and then he makes the movie of it. It's it's Steve Gerber's worst nightmare. Do you, do you, and, do you... then, <laughs> and then and then as you said, who now owns him? Disney, the people that had their hands around his neck for so long. Yep. It's the worst thing that could happen to Steve Gerber, the worst thing that could happen to Howard the Dog, and it happens twice. Maybe Steve Gerber's satire was so cutting people just didn't notice it. They just they they just thought saw it as a silly little thing and didn't didn't read into it. Properly. I think there's a there's a huge amount of that because comic mm. books in terms of how uh the mainstream world views them are especially if they're, in, 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 they're if they're underground comics they are ignored mm. if they are mainstream comics then they are you know oh yeah for for te- you know te- adolescent boys or whatever i think uh from, from talking about all this i think alan moore did a similar uh, comic for 2000 ad these two aliens that were tasked with doing these things and it was always satirical about you know, satire is quite quite prominent in, in in comic books. Yeah, I can't remember the names, but they. If I do check them out, they're, they're, they've they're got very... two very odd names. Yeah, it's not 
It's not Alan's best work, I'll no, be honest. Oh, with you. no, 2000 AD isn't his best work. I've, I've read all his 2000 AD stuff and can agree, but it was, it's, it's a giggle. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a little giggle. Anyway, uh, I'll get back to the film. The following day, Beverly takes Howard to Phil Blumbert, a scientist who Beverly hopes can help Howard return to his world. Phil is fascinated with Howard and shows him around a museum, drawing parallels between humans and duck evolution. After Phil is revealed to be only a janitor... Howard resigns himself to a life on Earth and rejects Beverly's aid. Oh. So Tim Robbins uh, looks like Thomas Dolby in this film. And Thomas Dolby is who again? The guy who did the soundtrack. And it, Clu- right. His, his, his surname's Dolby, clues in the name. He does sound. <laughs> I guess so. I'm yeah. sorry. I couldn't resist. I don't know whether he, he, that's his stage name. So people would get... Never mind. Anyway, so Phil Blumber... <laughs> That's Phil's- like saying Tim Robbins in this movie looks like my Auntie Carol. Auntie <laughs> That's Carol. the same level of awareness she could, that I, anyone would have. I don't know if I, me- if I mention it later, but I'm <laughs> going to mention it now just so... Uh, I, I don't care if I mention it three times as long as I mention it. Tim Robbins' performance in this is... God, it's it's staggering. It's it's amazing to see him go, go, go from something like this to Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's got much to work with, but it does stand out as being quite a lot worse than like Leah Thompson and you know he, he he's definitely the worst actor in this film and, yeah and that's and a shame Tim Robbins and I like Tim Robbins a lot and it's yeah I, I, I don't he's worse he's worse than Howard the Duck in this <laughs> did he say something he said like uh, something about his paycheck with this. I've got to find the quote. I don't know if you found it. It, 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 it no. was like, it was like, oh, he he had such a weird outlook on it at the time. Like, oh, I just got this paycheck for doing this, and that was to tide me over for the next few months or something or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it, a plumber. At think, the end of the day, you're a plumber. Didn't didn't have a very positive time apparently. Uh, Phil Blumberg, the character he plays, though, is he from the comic books? No. Um, oh, okay. How doesn't yeah. How doesn't have anyone like Phil in 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 his. Supporting cast. Howard doesn't really have a supporting cast. It's 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 kind of only his only friend is really Beverly. That that um, makes sense because it seems like the character isn't Howard, but more of his like sat the satire and his his ideas on the world and stuff, ideology and stuff like that would to say. Yeah, kids, it, 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 it's always a bad idea and a red flag if your significant other does not have friends outside of you that relationship is not gonna work they need to have a rich life full of cool people outside of you and them um i once heard someone describe the healthiest relationship is the relationship where if the other person just vanishes in the night you'll be fine (laughs) and i thought that was incredible not you'll be not like you won't miss them but like you know it's not like set up a life you need them yeah Um, anyway that was surprisingly uh, deep yeah so no um, (laughs) let's move away from that back to howard the duck howard the duck (laughs) Uh, he he has he he encounters more mystic people than science people yeah um jennifer kale who is ghost rider's cousin um Doctor Strange, who is Doctor Strange. Mm. Damien Hellstrom, he has an encounter with Damien Hellstrom and stuff. Uh, he meets them several times, but he doesn't really have, like, science Science people aren't really mm. something that, that Howard kind of encounters. Um, he, I mean, he does have, in terms of his supporting cast, there is <laughs> there's a crazy psychic lady called uh, Winda Wester. But Winda Wester has a lisp, so her name is probably linda lester but 
<laughs> it's everyone it's written and when she introduces herself as Winda Wester everyone calls her from that point on Winda Wester <laughs> and saying it out loud is funny for some reason it's not so funny written down but as soon as you yeah. do it as soon as you say Winda Wester it's very hard not to laugh <laughs> and he meets her in, in an insane asylum or on or the bus first and then she gets possessed by a demonic spirit and accidentally uses her psychic powers to summon the band Kiss. All of them. All of them. In, in the insane asylum, in an issue approved by Gene Simmons. <laughs> and that's a great issue. And how it, is, how it ends up being friends with her, because she's not, she's not really... She's a bit mad, but she's not really mad. And also... She can summon Kiss. If you could summon Kiss out of thin air, I'll be friends with you. Are you a Kiss fan? Or who isn't a Kiss fan? I I'm kind of over them. I went, oh. I I I've listened to Kiss a fair amount. You know, I've done all that. I even went to the Kiss wedding chapel and uh, indoor mini golf center in Las Vegas. And I think that's the point where I went. I think I've had enough Kiss. That and Gene Simmons' opinions on everything. It's just like progressively awful uh, opinions. Ne- never, never listen to you, never listen to people you respect and love. Never do it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a few things. Strutter, good song, very good, very good Kiss song. Strutter, great song. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where we go from here. Summoning Kiss. Are you are you done with telling me about Winda Wesper? <laughs> See, it's funny, isn't it? You're right, so it is funny. funny. It's it funny. Is, funny. Why is it funny? <laughs> Because you're laughing at someone's speech impediment. Because you're terrible, Rob. You're terrible. It is. It's because it's because you never make those sounds normally. Winda Wester is funny, and so is Kiss. Please proceed. Okay. So back to the film. He soon applies for a job as a janitor at a local romance spa. But after we need to stop right there because that's something. Romance spa has been written by someone on the internet in the synopsis. Well, <laughs> and what they mean is massage parlor slash jerk shop. I I, I think considering uh, our audience could be of any age, I think romance spa is a great euphemism. I think they need to be confronted with the harsh realities of the disturbing world that lives outside of podcasts, where people go to spas to do dirty things, and people being paid minimum wage have to clean up after them, uh, and it's wrong. I did, get and it's, my sometimes fir- it's a duck. So I, I did get my first full body massage on my honeymoon, which was good. Do we want to hear the rest of this story? Was it a romance spa? It was not a romance spa. It was. It was in Bath. <laughs> it was very above board. There was oh, nothing, okay. but there was nothing duck related about it, so I can't right. go down this town. But it was it was really really nice experience. Really, yeah, I was ready to fall asleep afterwards. Really happy. Yeah, we end. got we got a fry up afterwards. It was great. Oh, okay, nice <laughs> and happy at the end. Cool. <laughs> that's that's the correct kind of happy ending for this book, for the story. I was wondering when you were gonna. I was wondering when you were gonna. Okay, let's you, you move were on. nudging it, but you didn't tee it into the hole, did you? you just... No, because I was hoping you would blaze over it, and I could just have a happy moment where I snuck that one in there. Okay, carry on. That sounded wrong as well. <laughs> anyway, romance, spa. romance spa. We've you got... had us at romance spa. You had me at romance spa, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> After being treated horribly by the manager, he quits. Walking the streets of Cleveland, he finds out how ducks are treated on Earth before ending back at the bar where he arrived at first. Inside, Beverly is playing with her band Cherry Bomb. 
While Cherry Bomb are performing, Howard comes across their manager and confronts him when he insults the band. A fight breaks out in which Howard is victorious. Uh, did you ever see the film uh, Something Something Against the World? Scott Something Against the World. Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Scott but, Pilgrim Against the World. Yeah, of course. Did, did, did this, wasn't this band called Cherry bob Sex bob Sex bob Then No, we will not go down that tangent then. Uh... I, Probably, I, maybe the greatest comic book adaptation of all time. I didn't get on with the film. <clears throat> well, I need to, I need to give it another chance. I read the comic. The comic no, was quite good, but no, I just I just no. didn't get on with the film. No. F you then. Everybody said that, and I said the film <laughs> yeah. was like having a child yell about video games at you, and I was like, Why wouldn't you like that? I thought I would. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a film aimed at me and then I watched it and I, I gave up after 20 minutes and, and now I feel I need to give it a proper go. Oh, I haven't got time for people like you. That joke wasn't funny. I didn't hear the punchline, but I didn't like. The, I didn't <laughs> think it was funny. As I say, I'll give it another chance. Anyway, I, I, in, in Howard the Duck, I've said it about 80s stuff. Everybody in this film acts like a character from an 80s cartoon. Do you find that? I, f- I felt like they act like a, like a car- like cartoon characters. It's, it's very broad. It's very, very, very broad. There yeah. we go. Very broad. Also, I've never seen a band stop mid-song and then start another because it's too depressing. <laughs> if, that was, if that was the case, I, a Radiohead gig would be 10 minutes. Yeah, every, every <laughs> single one of my mates' bands from college and uni would have had to stop during every song then. Um yeah. Every of all of our songs are depressing. Why can't we be happier? Because we're in a band in college. No, no one's happy in a band in college. Because everything's important and depressing. There we go. Because we are twenty. <laughs> <laughs> also, how come everybody screams or acts amazed when they see him, but the careers counselor isn't phased at all? Is that supposed to be an in-joke, like a typical, like, oh, would it be funny if they just didn't find it, you know, whatever? It probably is, but. Here's an actual thing from the comics. Oh, good, um, you good. You got a proper answer. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they. I don't think they do. I don't think these people read freaking any of Howard the Duck when they made this movie. Really, I think someone summarized the points. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Howard's trapped in this world of, of, as he keeps saying in this movie, hairless apes. Yeah. Um, and he can. So, I think there is almost more about being um, different. I think there's there's almost more of worth and serious kind of intent behind being different in Howard and Duck than there is in the X-Men. In the X-Men, aside from one graphic novel, it's very much just... Well, we're hated for being different, but it's really all about science fiction powers and eye beams and stabby stabby and traveling to the future. Mm. It's not like there are that many parables to um, being gay or uh, being a, a different color to the people around you, which is what it's lauded for all the time. Oh, is an X Men wonderful because it's mm. it's about being different? Is it? Is it really, or is it about science fiction? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Howard, like. Because of how he speaks and talks all the time, because of how kind of like the the the, the cynic, the kind of the, the the cynical nature of it, the exposition of it, uh, the, and 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 the way it is written all the time, he is constantly constantly reminded that he is a duck 
in a world where no one is a duck. Mm. He cannot ever escape being a duck. He can't take it off. He can't put on a pair of sunglasses like Cyclops and not be a duck anymore, right? Mm. He can't, you know, sheath his claws and stop being a duck like Wolverine, right? How is a duck wherever he goes and everyone around him isn't? He is other. He is constantly other. His outsidedness is, is, is just written all over him. And you can read Howard the Duck and you can identify good people in the story... Because they either don't recognise or don't care uh, that Howard is a duck. I don't see okay? species. <laughs> so that, that's that's like a really key important thing in the series. Yeah, that's yeah, how you yeah, can yeah. tell. The him and Beverly have this relationship like any other couple, and it's and then the characters that talk about him being a duck are the ones where you go, well, they're not, they're not, they're either not a cool person or they're not a good person. Mm. If they treat Howard like an entity, a person, yeah, and they don't treat him like a duck, they're a good, cool person. It's like a litmus it, I test. I think it speaks so much to not necessarily tying it to a particular thing, right, a particular way of being other, mm. but it speaks so strongly about being other in a world that isn't. Whether that is gay, whether that is trans, whether that is um, black, whether that is whatever you can't uh, you can't sort of walk away from, and and, and everyone you know treats you and, and sees you as that. Um, and I, yeah, I think it, I think it speaks to that way more than the X Men has ever never really attempted to do. But let's Marvel write about it in press releases occasionally. You heard it here first, folks. Howard the Duck, LGBT icon. Sure. Better than X Men. That's what I would have got. <laughs> suffix better than X Men in small words. Back sure. to, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Back to the film. Howard rejoins Beverly backstage after the band's performance and accompanies her back to her apartment, where, after discovering Howard's musical talent, Beverly persuades him to be the band's new manager. The two begin to flirt, but they are interrupted Whoa. by. I know, I know. It's a good thing he has a duck condom. Uh, safety first, lads. Wait, that sounds like it's a condom that is a duck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm imagining a rubber chicken thing. <laughs> or, or or someone for with a uh, duck shirt. Careful. Thingy. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I like that. You saw it right. You, like, like, you panicked then that Will's going to say a rude word. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, anyway. The two begin to flirt, but I, I can't get past that bit because we, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it after I've done okay, this paragraph. Okay. We're going to talk about it, so everybody at home is listening. Stop laughing because I can hear you in the future. When we were, <laughs> I can hear you in the future. I can hear you in the future where this is very laughing about chicken condoms. Laughing about chicken condoms. No chicken, chicken Johnnies as we as we call them in this country. Chicken Johnnies, uh, chicken oh, soup. Good old chicken Johnny. Johnnies because you know. When you have a cold, but are feeling amorous. <laughs> okay, we're moving away from that. We're moving away yeah. from that. We're moving away from that. The two begin to flirt, but they are interrupted by Bloodbert and two of his colleagues, who reveal that a laser spectroscope they were inventing was aimed at Howard's planet and transported him to Earth when it was activated. They theorize that Howard can be sent back to his world through a reversal of the same process. Okay, now we're going to talk about it. Uh, did they actually have sex? In the movie? Yeah. 
because we've talked about this, I think we discussed. Well, what, the, what what did we see? What happened? That they, well, we saw them not have sex, but nearly have sex. Okay, so there we go. Oh, there we go. Does that happen in the comic books, though? Um, so their relationship is is hinted at. Well, sorry, their relationship is a full, loving, caring relationship. Oh, that's right? nice. In the comic books. But in the original series, they're bound by the confines of being a comic book that's available to kids. Yeah. So, although they're clearly in a loving, caring relationship, nothing physical was ever displayed. And I guess it's kind of... Loving and caring it might be a bit of overplaying it. It's that kind of... Um, you know when you're... You know when the best kind of relationships is a real partnership? Yeah. There's no one else there for you like that other person. Yeah. They understand you, they've got your back, all of that. That's what it is. So there are ways in which once you remove the physical elements, uh, once you don't draw attention to the physical elements, that could be a very intense friendship. Marvel are very key on the wording always being... Howard the Duck's friend Beverly. That's so <laughs> written in it. But when uh, when Howard is is relaunched as the the black and white magazine because it's no longer targeted, no, because it's no longer available to kids, and it really mm. isn't targeted to kids, and it's available to teen mate, it's just teenagers and young adults and everything. That black and white series by Bill Mantlo that then is able to one hundred percent display. Howard and Beverly as lovers. They share a bed. We see them in bed together. So 100% it is in the Marvel Howard the Duck magazine. And that does get folded in to, you know, so when they make appearances later on in the later 80s, the, the 90s and stuff and beyond, you'll see them kissing. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. I, I thought it was going to go the, the way that Ren and Stimpy did when they bought it back for, as an adult thing, and it just didn't work. <clears throat> um, I'd argue Howard the Duck doesn't work outside of that original series, but we'll yeah. talk about that when we get to our recommendations right at the end of the show. I'll I'll give my thoughts a little bit more. I like I look forward to hearing those. Okay. So upon their arrival at the laboratory, the laser spectroscope malfunctions when it is activated, raising the possibility of something else being transported to Earth. Howard and Beverly are almost arrested by the police, but manage to escape with Dr. Walter. At this point, Dr. Walter, Dr. Walter Jennings is possessed by a life form from a distant region of space. When they visit a diner, the creature introduces itself as a dark overlord of the universe and demonstrates its developing mental powers by destroying table utensils and condiments. A fight ensues when a group of truckers in the diner begin to insult Howard. Howard is captured and is almost killed by the diner chef, but the dark overlord destroys the diner and escapes with Beverly. Uh, this, have you ever seen the film Buckaroo Banzai? I have, yes. I, I need to watch that game. It's a very quirky film, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very mismatched, misplaced, misjudged film. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting Buckaroo Van. I got Buckaroo Banzai vibes from this <clears throat> at this point in the film. I was like, this feels like Buckaroo Banzai. Here's, here's the deal, Jack. <laughs> Star Wars made money. Yeah. Every movie made money. Yeah. 
everything that came out of the movie made insane amounts of money. Yeah. What happened then, that, that occurred in a world where, at a time when science fiction was not, by any stretch of the mind, mainstream. Right. So you have people with no... Uh, grasp, understanding, uh, uh, affectional love for science fiction. Going, oh, we need to make money. Oh. They made money because they had science. They did a science fiction thing, then it made money. We need to make money. Let's make money. Let's make money. This movie reminds me hugely of the Masters of the Universe movie from the, from the eighties as well. Oh god! It, 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 there's a lot of these things of people that don't understand or care. They just know space stuff makes money. Let's make a space stuff movie to make money. That's how we get money, right? Mm. The the it feels like no nobody involved in this movie. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't. It doesn't bug me that much that this movie bears no resemblance to Howard the Duck because Marvel post Gerber leaving and, and to be fair the Mantlo magazine series is still Howard the Duck changed a bit but it's still Howard but after that like the character just crops up here and there and it's just part of the, it's just like a silly duck character like no one there cares no one there has an artistic vision for the character so why should a movie <laughs> you know if there's only like two writers in the whole world gerber and, and, and mantlo who who kind of actually get howard then why would a movie but it's the fact that it just doesn't even get or care about doing science fiction properly that that is kind of annoying yeah you know at least Spaceballs had enough understanding of what it's kind of satirizing and not even satirizing of what it's parodying to make a really fun funny sci-fi parody comedy these movies don't even get that right they're just a mess they don't know what they are they don't know how to do science fiction it's a mess why is a villain arriving at the end of a movie that's just basic writing (laughs) why is your antagonist arriving right before the end it's like, what are you doing? It's like they're doing ET, but it's like, hmm, it's not. It, we haven't got enough oppression. We're gonna have to stick an over, alien overlord at the end. Madness, madness. Also, I felt like he couldn't show his true form because they spent the entire special effects budget on the duck. You know, because he's still in his human form, and I went, oh, and he looks a bit worse for wear, and that's it. Well, he does the monster bit that's, that's, that's what I thought at the time though when I, I just thought oh they can't show his true form because they spent all the special effects budget on the duck also when the film tries to be funny nothing <laughs> nothing original is being said nothing no. nothing nothing's no. happening it's like it's it's a pla- it's like it's like a stock like you said yes. before yes. it's a stock phrase that, that they've just kind of lifted or they've heard in other sometimes in funny comedies someone says this just put it in there then. It's like the script was written by Michael Scott from The Office. <laughs> I'll have what she's having. That's that's so, what she said. That's so accurate. Yeah, I'm glad I got to the core wow. of this because I have been watching The Office recently and I yeah. love it. But yeah, it, yeah, we know how your mind works, Will. When you reference something, it's because you are in the middle of watching it. <laughs> yes, I got to keep it while it's fresh before it gets sour, and I hate it. Uh, so we have a dark overlord of the universe. Is this the kind of villain that Howard takes in the comics? No, we had a wizard, but that was just a wizard, wasn't it? 
Well, first of all, I love creature works like this. I love how it looks. It's not quite John Carpenter's The Thing, <laughs> but I still think it looks great. I not I, look, I really like the way it looks. I just love, you know, yeah, uh, uh, creature stuff like this. It's quite interesting they call this guy the Dark Overlord because Thog the Neverspawn um, wanted to become the Overmaster of all reality. Mm. And I'm like, well, what? Like, why couldn't he be the Dark Overmaster? Like, what? Okay. Um, Howard faces a, a wide plethora of weird and bizarre people and creatures. One of his earliest encounters is Bessie the Hellcow. Wow, this is starting to Bessie sound like the, Earthworm Jim. Bessie the Hell Cow is a vampire cow. Oh, God. Uh, a cow, one night, Dracula was really hungry and couldn't find a person, so it fed from a cow. <laughs> and everyone thought the cow died. You'd be wrong! It's now a vampire cow! And it raises herself from the dead each night with vampire fangs to bite and feed off farmers, and it's been doing so for uh, decades since the 1800s. Wow. There's Kidney Lady. <laughs> kidney Lady! Kidney Lady. An insane old woman obsessed with kidneys and and obsessed with people trying to steal her kidneys or uh, make them diseased. She meets Howard and immediately, for some reason, seems to think he has a nefarious plan for her kidneys. She seems like she's just a mad old woman, but also... She has superpowers, even though she's just an old woman. She can teleport, and she occasionally can bring inanimate objects to life, and it's never explained how or why. That is fantastic. They should have done that in the film. There's a neurotic comic book writer who discovers something has fallen from outer space, from the stars. A vegetable. A turnip. A space turnip. An alien space turnip, which possesses his mind and turns him into the space turnip. Oh, God. Um, and he becomes, he has superpowers and he becomes obsessed with Beverly and tries to sexually assault her. Howard wow. also has a, do- I'm going to breeze past it, a Doctor Doom style villain called Doctor Bong. And Dr. Bong has, like, a supervillain cape and a costume, and he has a bell-shaped metal helmet and mask. And he lost his left hand in something or other, and so to replace his left hand, he's got the big metal... You know the thing you use to ring the inside of a bell? Oh, clapper. He's got a big metal clapper on his left hand. So, Dr. Bong can hit himself in the head... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to set off oh. his bell and create a powerful sonic bell blast. How would the Ducks villains, ladies and gentlemen? I, I would have loved Kidney Lady. I, I, when you say Kidney Lady, all I can think of is Log Lady from Twin Peaks, but she's got someone's kidney. She's cradling someone's kidney. There also, you go. Also, Space no. Turnip sounds so boring and straightforward that George Lucas named him. Callback. I think this movie should have had all of them in it. Yes, that would from the beginning. They should have set yeah. it up like like Blade did with all the villains. Even no oh, no, yeah. no 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 not not Blade. Fire guy with the skull. Fire guy. Ghost Rider. You know Ghost, Ghost Rider, Rider set up those villains we didn't really care about. And they had yeah. different They should have done that with this. That would have been incredible. Uh 
Right, so back to the film. Howard locates Phil, who is arrested for his presence at laboratory with no security clearance. After they escape, they discover an ultralight aircraft, which they use to search for this the This was so weird. It was, but I liked it. <clears throat> sure. They, which they used to search the Dark Overlord and Beverly. Meanwhile... You like planes, though. You just like planes. I haven't played Kerbal in a while, and I like aerodynamics, matey. You do. I, and guns. I, I like guns, aerodynamics, uh, and Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm a catch, and I'm being caught. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job, because on paper, that's terrifying. <laughs> Hi, I like Sonic the Hedgehog, but I'm not a furry. <laughs> Also, I love, I love aerodynamics I like mili- and engineering. Military aircraft, guns, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Please swipe right. Please. I am older than 13. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Dark Overlord has driven with Beverly to a nearby nuclear power plant and absorbed its energy into his body before sure. escaping. Sure, that, sure. No, no explanation that, of that. We knew he could do that. That was We always knew he could do that. I mean, that was a, a talking, thing he could always do. There's a talking duck who definitely didn't have sex with a woman, so whatever. At the uh, laboratory, the Dark Overlord plans to transfer another one of his kind into Beverly's body with the Dimension Machine. I like the flight scene. I, I, I know, I, I, you know me and aerodynamics and engineering. I, I, I thought it was like that fun, carefree bit in a stupid 80s movie. Like, oh, we got it. we've only got five minutes until they're there. And oh, my God, I've never driven with a duck before. Oh, now I'm going to do a loop. And it was that kind of, you know, that kind of cheesy. <coughs> yeah, stuff. it's mad. It's insane. It's, it's insane. But it's like, in a way, it's like, it's not bad. It's not bad. You know. This movie is completely insane and 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 kind of misjudged yeah. but there is somehow a charm to all of it yes i think it speaks to the strength of a lot of the actors performing yeah i think i think i think an awful lot of it is is um this is going to sound weird howard's eyes <laughs> so do you remember the 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 scooby doo movie Oh, I never watched the Scooby Doo movie. Um, yeah, they gave Scooby Doo these kind of weird, almost two human eyes, yeah. and it's, horif- it's horrifying. Well, like they, they did, did the same the Hedgehog with- in the film and Yogi Bear. Yeah. They did Yo- they did a Yogi Bear cartoon. They give him these kind like, of human eyes, and it's horrifying. It, there's something about the way they do the mask and and, and on Howard. The voice acting is really good. I forget the guy's name. He's the same guy as Chucky, I think, I read somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. <clears throat> There's something just endearing about him. And he's lost, and he's not a bad guy. He's not great at anything, but... There's a charm to yeah. this very silly movie. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. What can you tell us though, about Beverly? I mean, is she obviously a comic book character, right? But what more can you tell us about her? Yeah, she's there in, in, in issue one of How the Duck... As essentially like this Red Sonia dressed character mm. in a chainmail kind of bikini to basically further the, this weird Conan satire that they they started the character with. Um, Howard rescues her from Pro Rata, the accountant guy we talked about, <laughs> and then they, they they stay together and become friends, only friends, <laughs> as Marvel insists during the original series. They have this very up and down relationship. Um, there's a lot of Howard being passive aggressive towards her. 
There's an awful lot. It's just like one of the first times you see like domestic fights and arguments between people that are kind of just together all the time. Yeah. Right? That doesn't like Superman and Lois Lane don't have like nitty gritty domestic arguments. Right? It just doesn't kind of they're just if they're meant to be together, then they're together and in love. Like that but they don't kind of do that in this after a lot of weird adventures, Howard has a mental breakdown. Oh, actually, well. and he he leaves Beverly. He gets on a bus and he abandons her, and he he just goes to 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 leave her, and he ends up in a psychiatric unit, which turns out to be kind of evil. Kiss turn up and, again, and then oh yeah, that's, that's the time we're talking about. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, he yeah. kind of comes out of that, and they reconnect. They go on a cruise ship together, and they meet on that cruise ship. Someone that Beverly went to college with who's been in love with her ever since, infatuated with her. Mm. And that man is now the bell shaped maniac, Dr. Bong. And Dr. Bong, like, threatens to murder Howard if Beverly doesn't marry him. And remember, Howard the Duck is just a duck. <laughs> he can't just do anything, he can't, like, defend himself. So Beverly goes along with it, and they actually get married. The ship's captain marries them and she leaves with him and goes off to be his wife. And that was meant to be the end of Beverly in the comics. Gerber wanted her gone. He didn't like that Howard had developed this constant companion and almost this kind of home life and happiness. He felt that it um, destroyed what he wanted from the character which is to be the stranger mm. the the stranger in a strange land always kind of not fitting in and so he intended to get rid of her with this marriage thing but then gerber uh leaves the leaves the book leaves the character completely and and the other writers that replaced him wrote this really kind of funny end to this story um and so I, I, as much as I, I I espouse how great Steve Gerber is and that I don't think kind of how that really works sort of doesn't work beyond him, there's still a lot of funny stuff that can happen. Other writers are still funny. So this, this kind of end to this evil villain plan is that they get married, but like Dr. Bong, once he's got her, he's not even really interested in her anymore. <laughs> like he's he's more he's much more obsessed with his great will Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Bells. He's absolutely obsessed with it, and he spends all his time reading it, thinking about it, working on it, and ignoring her. And so Dr. Bong, because he's basically Dr. Doom, has got all these kind of like super science fiction-y, mad science stuff in his castle. So <laughs> Beverly uses his science tech to create five infant clones of Dr. Bong called... <laughs> The Bong Quintuplets. And then she gets her freedom by threatening to reveal to the world that he is a negligent father. (laughs) (laughs) And Letty lets it go. And he capitulates. Oh, God, yes, don't tell anyone. And so she gets to go. And that's how she she escapes. And then she reunites with uh, Howard the Duck. And they kind of, that's pretty much they're then together for all the future adventures. It was only Gerber that didn't see that basically saw Howard needed to go on without her. Everyone else involved was like, oh, they need to be a duo. Yeah, that's... So, yeah. Okay, that's quite cool. That's quite cool. So, up to the last bit of the film. 
Howard and Phil arrive and apparently destroy the Dark Overlord with an experimental neutron disintegrator. But, of course. Of yeah. course. What was that? We've, we, 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 we've known about that for the whole movie, haven't we? That's something they've told us about. That's something they've, they've introduced us. What was yeah, that thing? they teed that up. That's a... Yeah, what was that Chekhov's th- gun. What was that thing from uh, Spider-Man cartoons? The Neurogenic Recombinator. Neurogenic Recombinator. But to be fair, they did talk about that every five seconds in that cartoon. They, they, so- they, they did. They did. They were, no. I, I, yeah, I, 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 this didn't annoy me at the time, but now looking back at it, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think I just accepted they had that by this point because I was so... I mean, bamboozled. to be fair, you can't introduce the way of defeating the villain... Before you've introduced a villain, and they've only just introduced the villain. <laughs> so oh, wow. So, but the creature at the sea, they fire him with the experimental neuron disruptor, neutron disruptor. But the creature is merely forced out of Jennings' body and now attacks them in his true form. Yay! Howard fires the neutron disintegrator at the hideous beast, obliterating him. He then destroys the laser spectroscope, preventing more dark overlords to, from arriving on Earth, but also ruining his only chance of returning to his planet. Howard then becomes Beverly's manager, hires Phil as an employee on her tour, and performs with Beverly on stage. What a nice ending. That was... I, I, I know you like your practical effects and other people like it, but I did feel like that... Beast was a leftover from Star Wars. I think it would have lo- looked a lot better if it was left over from Star Wars. <laughs> it is true, actually. Yeah, it, it, it had that same vibe. You know, I lo- I do appreciate the stop frame animation because nothing is scarier on screen than stop frame animation. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, in fact, I was watching Gravity Falls on Disney Plus, and there's an episode where they're watching what is this? Was what is the old Ray Harryhausen film, Sinbad yeah. film, and the the uh, cyclops comes out and one of the kids suddenly gets into shock and and starts screaming and I love that because I did the exact same thing at that character's age I was so terrified of stop frame animation at that age I don't know if it's I think I imagine it's still there you live in in that there London that one there, of London. the yep. five only good things about the South um, <laughs> there's the 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 the, the film uh, the film institute museum which British is film by institute. the eye yeah, yeah, on the South Bank. I've been there before. The the, uh, the Harryhausen Museum is in there. Well, it was when I last oh, visited. Oh, my stepdad Harry, would love Harry, that. The Harryhausen Museum—it's absolutely fantastic. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, maybe maybe it's an exhibition that moved on, but it was sold to me as the museum of his stuff, yeah. rather than it's here for a bit and it's moving on. I'm yeah. fairly certain. Yeah, it was—it's incredible. It's the, the the stuff that they've got there for you to look at. You know, original models of his and artwork, and oh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, back in the days of practical check effects. it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do that. Also, this final battle just for the video gamers out there, it did feel like it was straight out of Resident Evil. You have but the how pa- could it be? Uh I, I, I'm not saying they're stealing stuff from Resident Evil, but it did have. But, it, sa- but you can't say that, can you? <laughs> well, I can't because it's, it'd be a time paradox. Yes. Yeah, so. Who stole from what? I don't know. Resident Evil, to be fair, like most games franchises, is influenced by Howard the Duck. There yes. we go. You heard Resident it. Howard the Duck created Pixar and the Resident Evil franchise. franchise. That's what it. That's what it did. Let's go with that. Also, did they want to get a single out of this film as well with that with that song at the end? Because I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they then heard what what Leah was able to do and all that. They went, 
let's really like do more with it because it sounds really good. It got a, it got a golden raspberry for worst uh, soundtrack and worst song apparently. Oh, they can they can kiss off. They they just basically find what everyone is talking bad trash about and they go at it. That does sound like vultures. They do sound like yeah. vultures now. Uh, also, more films need to end with a concert. Yes, I, Bill and Ted. Yes, Bogus Journey. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is exactly what I was thinking about. Greatest can... ending in the in 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 I think the history of science fiction films. Uh, nothing makes you feel more satisfied, happy, exhilarated. Oh, it's glorious! It's wonderful. It's closure at its finest. Also, does Howard ever return home to Duckworld? Speaking of closure, oh, I love this. Um, yes, he does. in in the In the black and white magazine, Howard the Duck series, Howard returns once Gerber's gone. <laughs> they're like, right, let's do Duckworld. Um, Howard returns home, but he finds that when he's there, he is an outcast there as well. Oh, he like Furio in The Sopranos. Um, he's kind of like. Um, no one believes Beverly is a real thing. They think she's a robot. Um, I, I, he's he's famous and hounded for being the book the, the duck that was sucked up into a vortex and disappeared and everything. Um, he 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 ends up going on the Tonight Show with Johnny Quaxon, yay! <laughs> alongside the other guest, famous writer Truman Capultry. <laughs> the whole thing is just full of. Duck foul oh, jokes. Oh, Lord, that is um, tremendous. Uh, someone on The Tonight Show tries to prove that Beverly is a robot by doing something with a vacuum to her, and it basically rips all the Beverly's clothes off on live television. Fantastic. Uh, the entire duck world is uh, aghast and horrified at the sight of this naked woman male, uh, human, human naked ape thing, yeah, ape thing yeah. um, and so they are chased around and finally Howard and Beverly find Ductor Strange Yay! the master of the mystic arts for that realm who casts a spell to teleport them all back to earth Will, thank you once again for ably taking us through one of these landmarks in Marvel history, the very first Marvel movie, Howard the Duck. And as ever, we want to know your final thoughts and, and take-homes on this film. I, I, I'm I, so conflicted, because I don't think it deserves a 13 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think, there, as you said, there's a genuine charm to this. And there are bits where I think this could have been really good, but you kind of like it in an ironic way. But I, there's a lot here that I like. But as a package, it's very, it's, it's a bit of a mess. But I don't know yeah, how else they could have done it, I, to be honest. I, I don't think there's any way, as a modern viewer, to view it with anything other than irony. I mean, I was a child when I watched it, so it's a very different experience. Um, you don't necessarily watch it with irony. It's just another weird thing you see as a child <laughs> yeah. who grew up in the 80s. Like, all the other weird things you watched. Yeah. But, yeah, I I, I do agree... That there's no other way. I, I, again, it's 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 very interesting to see you are charmed by it in the same way that because I don't know if my the, the charm it has on me is just um, you know um, fondness for youth and and and, and things like that. I I I, th- I think it's nostalgia by proxy. 
It feels like oh. other stuff that makes me nostalgic. Yeah, I can I can get that. Yeah. It's why I like Synthwave. Nostalgia by proxy. Yeah. And how about so has has our our deep dive into Howard's the 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 the, the character, the Marvel character and the stories, has that um switched your your perspective and your view on the character at all? A little bit. I already, I did a bit of reading years ago about, because, you know, I was just randomly going, oh, how the duck, that looked like a weird film. And it's like, uh, you read on like an article or something or online, you go, ah, it was nothing like the comic book. The comic book was more about satire. So I always knew it was going to be a little bit like that. But I mean, that depth we got into was sort of revealed a lot more. Well, well, after a reading list um, from us, because you know that's what they love, um, you're looking for there's quite a few of them they're named lots of different things you're looking for basically anything that says steve gerber howard the duck there's plenty of collections out there sometimes it's called essential howard the duck sometimes it's called the complete collection um there is a big hardback version called howard the duck omnibus but really what you're looking for is the name steve gerber because that's the real and honest howard um now i will say um that these are not the kind of stories that modern audiences will be used to yeah it, it it's not it's not an ongoing it's not really an ongoing story it's weird wild 70s satire you might find it harder to read than some traditional kind of adventure based stories um and you might not get any of the references because it's to the culture of its time now what what is interesting and why what might be a bit more contemporary is that Steve Gerber returned to Marvel after decades. Um, in Ooh. 2002, there is a new Howard the Duck series that Gerber did with Marvel Marvel's Max line. We've talked about this before. Marvel Max um, is their mature line of comics, which does not have the kind of censorship they use in the Comic Code Authority. Um, so that's where you can break free of censorship. Um the front cover you'll see um, features how the duck as a talking mouse, <laughs> not a duck, okay. as a giant fu to Disney for getting Howard to look less like Donald Duck. They decided to make him look more like Mickey Mouse. Very um, nice. The, this this series, the 2002 Gerber series, features more modern satires. They take shots at um, uh, boy bands. Uh, the pop culture of music industry, religion, psychiatry, the entire comic book industry of the late 90s and early noughts. Again, it's not super up-to-date references, because sitting here now in the year 2021, um, but it's more contemporary than the 70s, I guess. And I must say, the 2002 series... To a certain extent, the black and white magazine as well. Being in a comic book or a magazine intended only for adults, it lacks the wow factor and the thrill of Howard that Howard had in the original 70s series when he was sneaking all this stuff in a Marvel comic that kids bought. <laughs> That's electric. Um, like Red and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy always... It was a kid's cartoon, always skirting to the edge. That, I think, is a definitive and final take 
on Howard the Duck. Of course, he has cropped up in a couple of cameo appearances in the MCU, and I do believe there's some sort of animated project in the works at a future later date. Um, don't forget, you can get in touch with us uh, through Twitter at Marvel versus drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Visit us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We're back in the saddle now after our brief little little break. I think we're going to take a few more of those every every I don't know three months or so. We might take a week or so out we'll to recharge the batteries because it's been a real real uh, positive effect on us. We'll see how um, we feel. Yeah, we see how we feel. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up. Some big projects to talk to you about. Next episode, we return to the Marvel animated universe of the nineteen nineties. With the 1996 animated Incredible Hulk. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe so you don't miss out. Give us five stars, leave a review and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel comics and Marvel movies. Don't forget to join us next time for the animated Incredible Hulk and visit us at patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel